This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice of Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Craig, alongside, as always, the king of banter, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's happening? A lot of banter today. A lot of banter today. This is uh, audio show number three. Yeah, this is a day of banter for you, man. <laughs> this is what. It, so, what hour now are we in? Like, are, are we going to keep a running tally of the hours of Lanza that people can consume uh, on this day? So, you're, you're, where are you at right now, hours wise? This will be hour three. This will be hour three. So, okay, we yeah. might add another <laughs> additional three hours out of that. That is probably more Lanza than anybody needs to consume. But uh, I'm happy that people do want to consume it. So, it's good stuff. There. No, they need more. And if they go to uh, <laughs> Patreon.com/slash Voices Wrestling and choose the tier that best fits their budget. They can get more Lanza in their ears, and uh, that's something that everyone could use, especially with the hot takes that I'm spitting lately, Rich. I'm spitting the hot takes. I've heard. I've heard. Yeah, your best of the Super Junior stuff's got uh, got Alan uh, mad at us. Alan Cunahan is, is – is, I, I forget his terminology that we're having a falling out or something. It, it's We've created a rift between us and Alan, and that's like an eight, nine-year thing that you know uh, us and Alan have been real tight. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's causing some controversy. If you want to die on the hill of Dookie – then that is a personal choice that, uh, you know, what can you do about it? You know, I mean, I, I, I'm going to die on a better hill than defending uh, Daukai. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> if, if people don't that, that one's not even close, get, get out of here with that one. I cover all bases. I don't know how to say what the is that last one. What the hell is that? What'd you even say? Uh, Duke. <laughs> get out of here. Dokai? I, I don't know. Daokai? Duki? Duyuki? Duyuki. There's definitely not a U. Well, I, okay. There's right, a U yeah. in there. Yeah, there's there's a U. In I see what you're saying. I see, I see Duyuki. That one, yeah. It could be Duyuki. I don't know. It's not. Um, <laughs> That's fine. I appreciate it. It's, but, uh, it's oh, well, I did a little research. It's all Japanese. It is for, Japanese, yes. It's Japanese for Shindy. Is what <laughs> Japanese for K, K Dojo Geek is what it's Japanese yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> First ring geek is what it's uh, <laughs> translates to directly. You throw it into uh, Google Translate there, but uh, yeah, we have that coming up. We're going to talk about the best of the Super Juniors on New Japan's uh, ongoing tournament right now. We'll do a little catch up where we are uh, as of right now. We're going to talk about the AEW TV deal that will definitely take up a lot of time as we now have slightly more details than we had last week. At least we have confirmation of what we thought last week, but there's some other nuts and bolts that we kind of have to get into, uh, despite the fact that we still don't really maybe not have all the details that we quite need and and, and maybe a little bit about if we're ever going to get those details, which the answer you'll find out soon is probably going to be, eh, eh, probably not, but we'll, we'll find out about that. Uh, we're going to talk about WWE Money in the Bank 2019. I know you're itching to do it, Joe, but we're going to hold it off a little bit. Uh, we're also going to talk about the uh, Bret Hart-Tommy Gee match that uh, popped up on WWE Network this week uh, and the documentary that accompanied it, the Holy 
Grail uh, documentary. So we'll talk about that. I, you know, you mentioned the Patreon.com uh, slash Voice of Wrestling. I did a quick little review of that as well. Uh, if you just want a, you know, 15-minute little snippet of, hey, if should I watch this uh, documentary on WWE Network, I did that earlier in the week as well at Patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling. So plenty of Joe and Rich on uh, on the old Patreon there. But uh, we have to start with, I guess, in a roundabout way, another plug. for we, We've been a busy week on Patreon. People are getting their money's worth. Goddamn. Um, we have to talk about the unfortunate death of Silver King, which which occurred over the weekend. Um, we did a special, again, on, on, on Patreon where you and I went back and watched five of his uh, WCW matches. We talked about his WCW career. We thought, you know, there were going to be plenty of people that were going to talk about a lot of the other career of Silver King. And, and I know that Alan, you know, the aforementioned Alan had a uh, Cubs fan from LuchaBlog.com on his show at, on, at PW Torch talking about Silver King. And I guess that you're going to get a lot more of the, the Lucha content, the, the background of Silver King's Lucha career from that. Uh, and I know a bunch of other people are doing match reviews and, and, and columns and whatnot about that. But we thought it really underreported part of Silver King and under maybe an underrated part in a lot of ways uh, of Silver King was his WCW career, which was actually more prominent than even I knew going in. And I think I know you were surprised as well that like, oh, this guy got like title shots and and had a tag team run and and, and won some matches and was a part of some important moments. Uh, so that's a really good show if you guys want to listen to that. It's about an hour and 15, hour and, and a half of us just kind of reviewing matches, talking about Silver King's career, talking about WCW at that time. So really, really good stuff there uh, up at patreon.com slash voice of wrestling. But unfortunately, we did have to do that show because of the, the news of his death uh, over the weekend. And, and, and Joe sort of, we, we didn't talk necessarily about uh, you know what actually happened on that show. We got and got right to the WCW career, but uh, what were your thoughts on 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 seeing that Silver King had passed away? Yeah, I watched the um, I watched the video that was up on uh, El Hijo del Santo's Facebook page before he passed away because there was about an hour, hour and a half, two hour period there where everybody knew that something had happened and everybody knew that it probably wasn't good and. Um, but, but he hadn't been announced as, as dead. And I did check out the video. And when I saw the video, I knew that, that it, it it was, there was no going to not be any good outcome from this. I had a feeling that he had passed away because it's just, he, he, he goes, I watched the whole match and it's just the, the match is going on. It's just a normal match. You don't see any signs of anything. He hits a very, ugly looking flying clothesline, but I just think it was a bad spot. And um, he goes for a cover, but it's a very awkward looking cover. He's kind of on all fours over Hoovy's Juventud Guerrero. That was the opponent over his body. Um, the referee who was black Terry, by the way, um, you know, experienced wrestler uh, you know, makes the count. Hoovy kicks out, but silver King doesn't really, react in a way that someone would normally react when someone's kicking out of a pinfall. He's kind of remaining on all fours. So Hoovy kind of slips out from underneath his body. And then it's, it's just probably only 60 seconds, but it felt like a half hour and it's just really awkward. It's, it's a spot where they're kind of milking to get the crowd to clap. So both guys can get back to their feet and then probably hit the home stretch in a match. But Hoovy gets up and silver King does not, he's still on all fours. So Hoovy doesn't know what to do. The referee doesn't know what to do. Uh, we've all seen matches like that where it just gets real weird mm -hmm. because someone's injured or whatever the case. So um, he gives him a little, like a, a very light little tap kick, like near the shoulder, I think. And then he just, his body just collapses in a heap. And I'm not suggesting that the kick is what caused him to collapse. Just Hoovy was just, 
testing the waters, I guess. Like, what's he doing? Is he selling? Is he waiting for me to do something? Yeah, is he blowing up? Yeah, with, with, yeah, I mean, there's, there's right. plenty of, and, and that's the thing too that that not to interrupt you, but I, I did see a lot of criticism, and, and this goes back to the Paraguayo thing too of like, oh, they're not doing enough to like you know or, or, or understand the situation and whatnot, and and I really cannot criticize unless I'm in that sort of situation. You know what I mean? Like, I for like someone like a Juventus Guerrero, he has no fucking clue what's going on. He's probably trying to say something, doesn't know. It could be something as simple as you know he he got the wind knocked out of him, or or, or you know he was disoriented. Or yeah, he was blown up and trying to get it. Like you don't know it, so to, to just kind of say, "Oh my god!" Like yeah, in 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 retrospect, yes, of course there should have been more done, and of course he should have been able to say, "Hey, you know, oh my god, what's going on?" And and, and to stop the match and all that sort of stuff. But like again, that's all easy to say after the fact. Hindsight's always twenty twenty in these situations. If I were in that spot, man, I don't know how I would react. Like I I, I would probably do it. I would freak out probably like Kofi did. Which I imagine is just kind of like, okay, what the fuck? Like, what the hell's going on? What do we do? Like, it's easy to, to say, you know, after the fact, oh, should have done this and should have done that and should have done that. But, but in the moment, it's it's it, there's so much more going on, and 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 you're performing. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's 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 just yeah. It, to me, I always hate when I see uh, after these like people sort of criticizing or, or 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 putting down the guys in the ring or the referees or whatnot for what they do. I mean, it's 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 just yeah. I, I just always get irked by that. It's it's kind of annoying. It's I agree. And, you know, he, he, but, but there was, look, again, I'm with you in that I really don't know how I would react in the moment. Um, Because you really don't know what's going on. And, 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 and maybe it's just, you're not in a headspace where you think your friend is dying, you know, because maybe you don't want to think of it in that way, or maybe, and I don't know how I would react. But he collapses, and then this is where I think people are being critical. He, Rich, he doesn't move a muscle for the rest of the duration of the video. Um, there's not a twitch. There's not a movement. There's nothing. Now, I don't know if that at that point he's still able to communicate, but I think he's out at that point, and I'm no doctor, and I wasn't there, but I think that he died when he collapsed down to the mat at that point. Because Hoovy doesn't know what to do. He's not strong enough to turn him over. Um, I can't think of a better term, but at that point, it's like dead weight. Um, and he can't turn him over. He's pulling on his gear, and he can't turn him over. So he tries to pin him while he's on his stomach. And he wants the referee to count, but he won't. And they're just confused, and time just stands still. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it did feel like an enormous amount of time to where at that point, the guy isn't moving. It's clear he's not selling. It's clear he's not gassed, like you suggested. Right, right, right. It's clear he's not doesn't have the wind knocked out of him. It's clear at this point that something is terribly wrong. You know, maybe it's not clear, or maybe you don't want to accept that the man is dying or that the man is dead, but it's clear that something is terribly wrong. He's not in a pro wrestling posture on the mat either. He just collapses, and you can tell the difference. Um, he can't turn him over. He finally struggles to get him on his back, and then he covers him. And even at that point, the referee holds up at the count of two because he's not sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not great. And and it's very awkward, and then he slaps the third hand down when it's obvious he's not. He gave him a chance to kick out, which, again, is very bizarre in that scenario because he hadn't moved a muscle from the point that he collapsed, which leads me to believe that 
there's a part of me that that because of that, maybe he was verbally communicating to them. Maybe he was saying something like, "God, let me catch my breath." Or, but I don't know. It's just hard to believe because there was no motion whatsoever. You'd think you'd see an arm moving or his head, or it, it, it just so. So I don't. I don't know. I just think that that Juventud Guerrera and Black Terry reacted poorly, and but I don't really. It's hard for me to to get on them for that. I mean, because I don't know how I would be in that scenario. Right. But then to add to it, Rich, you know, the music plays, Hoovy is just, he's celebrating on the turnbuckle or whatever, just going through with his, and the referee's just kind of staring at him and no one's coming from the back. And, and this is where it got really bad. Yeah. 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 This is, this is where it gets kind of inexcusable. I'll let the guys go as like the action sort of happening, but once the match is over now, everyone's got to be like, getting out there as quick as possible and saying something and communicating that that is inexcusable at this point. And it just took forever for people for help to come out from the back to the point where Juventud Guerrero was finished with his celebration and left the ring himself and then came back with the other people. So that's how much time had passed. Cause I know a lot of people aren't going to be comfortable going back to watch this. So I'm, I'm trying to describe it the best I can. I mean, he did his whole celebration. The music stopped. He left. The fans are murmuring. And then he comes back with a whole gaggle of people, and then they're doing whatever it is they do. I don't even know if it was a doctor or someone who knew CPR. I don't even know who it was. It's just a bunch of people at that point. Uh, the ring announcer clearly knows something's up. You see him wandering around. Um, my gut tells me that he passed away when he collapsed onto the mat. Um, you know, in ring deaths, you know, we get one every few years, and they're they're horrible. The fans have to see that. We had someone, a contributor to our site, who was there with his with his child. Um, you know, with Liam Burns, is that who it was? Yes, correct. Yep. Uh, you know, and they canceled the show, obviously, and then, um, yeah. So he was fifty-one years old. I think, I don't know. I, I I'm really like you, uncomfortable with giving with with really uh, getting on. Hoovy and the referee. I, I, I'm just uncomfortable with it. That's not to say that I think they handled it well, particularly the ref. But I'm still uncomfortable getting on them and 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 giving them a hard time for it. Um, but I think some good that's coming out of it is we now know that MLW and AEW have their referees going through CPR training. I think that is a simple yet brilliant idea that I had never even thought of because who's in the ring and who's right there and who's the, has the ability to respond fastest. The referee. Right. Exactly. And, and, and weirdly too, like, again, it's pro wrestling and it's so bizarre that we have this, but like, Whose ability, like, because if, if guys don't know what's going on and they don't want to break their character and all that sort of stuff, I know this is ridiculous when I'm talking about a death. I know, but I'm saying, like, in, in other cases where it might be, there are guys that might not know what's part of the show, what's not part of the show. Is this guy selling? Is it like you were saying? And the referee yeah. can more easily sort of say, ah, you know what? Hold on, stop everything. Let me do this. Whereas, like, if Juventud Guerrero turns around and, and, and does it, and it's just a lot easier to train the referees because, like you said, they're kind of the authority figures in the ring there. They're kind of running the show. They presumably will have some communication with the back as well so they can maybe say, hey, something's going on. 
on here. I'm going to do the CPR, but get the doctors. You know what I mean? Like there's just a lot exactly. more good that can come of having a referee do it versus sort of telling every wrestler that they're also in charge uh, and, and need to be aware of something's going on. The referees should be in this position to kind of take charge and say, okay, hold on, move out of the way. Let me do this. And, and that's something so simple. CPR training is, 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 is a simple, but super effective and it could save a life. So that's it, a great idea for those companies to do that. Yeah. And like you said, in the larger companies, in the case of MLW and AEW, they're going to be wearing earpieces and they're going to be in communication with the back and they can convey that something's wrong and that they're going to ring the bell. And they have the power to ring the bell and just end it. You know, and like you're saying, the opponent has that instinct to keep working and it's easier for the referee to communicate. You see it all the time. Someone takes a big bump. Who gets down into the wrestler's ear? The referee. Task came in. Are you all right? You know, the opponent is busy working, either playing to the crowd or selling themselves. Right. So the referees, that, that is a brilliant idea that I hadn't even thought of. I think every referee should be trained in that, in, in basic first aid and CPR, right down to your smallest indie. I don't think you should be able to get into a ring and referee a match unless you have that certification. You know, and it's not something that's difficult or overly expensive either. I was certified for years in basic first aid and CPR. I still know how to do it. The certification expires, though. Right. You do have to go back because the things do change. Like the, the, the methods that they used even 10 years ago yes. have changed a lot from the methods today. But like you could literally go to your library, to uh, some random office. Like, I promise it, it, if you searched up CPR certification, you'd find 15 possible opportunities for you to do it in the next month you know, a block or two from your house. Like it is, it is so easy to do. Yeah. Fire stations. You can go to any fire station and do it pretty easily. If I remember correctly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, if they do expire, but you don't lose the skill, like I could still do it if pressed, but it's good to renew this. The reason I was certified is when I was working in restaurants, I thought it was a good skill to have. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But what happened was, that was many years ago. I move up in my career. I'm not at the, I'm not in the restaurants anymore. You know what I'm trying to say? Like I'm at the above store. You're level a big now, shot. So. Yeah, no, you're a big shot. You're a big timer. You roll in every once, every month and they go, Oh, there's, there's Joe. Hey, once going, every Joe? month. Yeah. If they're lucky, why are, they, <laughs> why are they, why are they seeing me so frequently? What are you, why are you making me work so hard, Rich? Um, no, but I mean, you know, I, once I got to the above store level, once I became a suit, um, it's just something I stopped renewing. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not because I don't, I, I, you know, you see what I'm saying. I still have the skill. If my wife was choking or needed, or the kids, I could do it. But it's just my point here is: I think all wrestling referees should go through that very simple and cheap and sometimes free training to be basic first aid and CPR certified. It cannot hurt. You know, it's like it may not say it may not have saved his life. My feeling is he was dead. But the next person, that the, the response time is always critical. Everyone knows that. It doesn't take long. Uh, just a few minutes, you know, when oxygen's not getting to the brain or whatever the case it's and 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 that is the person in the ring who can first, so I think that is tremendous that MLW and all elite wrestling are doing that. And I think everyone should follow suit. If WWE doesn't do it, they should do it. Although they've got doctors right there at ringside, I still think they should do it. Absolutely, yeah. 
And, and why not? I mean, how can, how can it hurt? And, and write down all of these indies. Don't let your referees get into the ring unless they have that certification card. And I don't want to hear it. It's cost effect. It's not expensive. I've done it a million times. You can even get it done for free if you look hard enough. I, I, so I think that's brilliant. And I think that might be something good that can come out of this. So, um, a terrible situation. Look, the guy was 51 years old. Um, you know, um, it's, he, he was never in tremendous physical condition. It, it sometimes people look, people have heart attacks. I don't, we don't know the cause of death, but people have heart attacks when they're 51. I mean, so it's not like he was 31 or 21. It's still very, very young to die. But I mean, you know, it, it's it's just a terrible scenario, and he was a worldwide wrestling star for many years, and um, and it's very sad. And and in hindsight, it was it was something that you know it was very hard for me to watch. Like in hindsight, knowing what the outcome was, you know, twenty minutes after I watched it, then the news came down, and it's like, wow, I just I just watched a man die, and that's always something. You know that that that's 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 heavy, and I'm not trying to make it about me, but it's. I wouldn't recommend what I'm saying is I wouldn't recommend watching that video unless you're prepared to watch a human being die in front of your eyes. Yeah, I always remember it, and and, and folks, I have not seen it because I uh, I remember watching the Paraguayo thing uh, all those years ago, and it just it, it left like a really I don't know I just felt horrible the rest of the day. You know you know what I mean? Like you just yeah. kind of like everything annoyed me that day. I was just a little on edge. Like it was just you know I'm a guy who and and I know you've always talked about this too on audio, and I think you and I have talked about this too. Like I'm terrified of the idea of death, like death, my own death, and other people's death, and it's just you know the nurse sees it every day, and it's like I don't know how she does. You know what I mean? Like she is surrounded by death on a daily basis basis not everyone kind of hits her uh some do you know there's times where she'll come home and and i can tell that it's been you know one of those days where it's like somebody that she really cared about or a patient she really cared about but you know more times than not she'll come home and say yeah no this guy died or whatever and it's like jesus like i can't imagine you know every day being surrounded by the potential of death where i'm not that way like i i watched that paraguayo thing and it, it it struck such a nerve with me that like this one, you know, maybe I probably should have maybe watched it for these purposes, but it was like, no, nah, I, I could not bring myself to do it because it was just like, I, I just, yeah, I don't want to see a man die in the ring. And, and, and like you said, it's, it's not to make it about us, but it's just like, yeah, it, it's, it's something that's always, it, it's troubling. Like, I, I just can't do it. Knowing what I'm going to see, it's just, it's too much. I, I, I can't stand it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I do have a, that's my biggest fear is death and it makes me question my mortality and, you know, and then, you know, you see something like that and you have a couple straight nights where, you know, you get those night terrors and you can't get it out of your brain. And it, yeah, so I don't recommend watching it. It's not gruesome in the sense that it's gory or bloody or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's just, just it's, it, it's real, you know, it's, it's, it's real and it feels real and it looks real because it is real. And sometimes you don't realize the impact that can have on you, you know, Absolutely. so, um, yeah, just terrible. But um, yeah, it was a guy that, um, as far as his wrestling career, you know, great wrestler. Um, we talked about it behind the paywall, but there were times in his career where he was considered right there with all of the other great luchadors of his day in terms of, of his ability to wrestle and his work rate and all those sorts of things. Um, and I'm not sure that a lot of people realize that. But, you know, just going back 
And just watching the WCW stuff, you could see even in the brief glimpses that he got in some of those six and eight man tags, that the guy was phenomenal, you know, and, and that arguably wasn't even his peak as a worker those years. You, know, you go back to the, the mid and early nineties with the, with the Los Cowboys tag team and all that. I mean, the guy was a tremendous wrestler and a worldwide star, you know, on every continent. I mean, he died in London. You know, and, and he, he had tours in Japan. He was in the best of Super Juniors. He, he, you know, tagged with his brother in Japan. He tagged with Tejano in Japan, obviously Mexico. Obviously, for four years, he was a contracted wrestler in the United States. This was a tremendous wrestler who was a worldwide star. And um, 51 is way too young to die. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, as we said, uh, if you want to turn somewhat of a negative into a positive, uh, what we did on the Patreon, I think was a pretty fun look at, at his career. And, and and like we said, really kind of an underrated career. Like I went into this thinking, yeah, Silver King, I remember that guy and and came away with like this dude's hot. like he's just as good as all these other guys. He's just as good as a psychosis and and even like a Juventud Guerrero. I mean, nobody's going to touch Rey Mysterio in that era because he was just a transcendent star at that point. But Silver King is not a dud there. You know, he's not the, the, the lowest guy on the totem pole. I mean, he is right there neck and neck with some of those guys has some really, really fun matches. Uh, we look at a 1992 match uh, against the Freebirds, which is really fun. And then a bunch of ones from, you know, basically 97 to 99 uh, as he was kind of, as you said, a contracted WCW talent. So really fun stuff there. And I think we do a little bit of a look, too, in terms of pay-per-view matches he had and, and, and TV matches and title shots and whatnot. So I said so it's a lot of really good stuff there over at uh, Patreon.com. Uh, slash voices of wrestling. So yeah, unfortunate that we have to do it under these circumstances, but I think we, again, like I said, turned a, a, a terrible negative uh, into a minor, minor positive by at least having some fun and and, and enjoying these matches and going back and watching them. So uh, really good stuff there about Silver King. But uh, let's get to some of the other news that we have for this week. I think the, the lead one that we got to go with is uh, the AEW TV deal. We had talked about it last week that um, the rap had reported uh, that it, seemed almost inevitable that AEW would go to TNT and be on some sort of turn of property. Well, it became official uh, earlier this week. Uh, AEW to TNT. Here's the press release from uh, AEW and TNT. It said, later this year, Warner Media will provide exclusive multi-platform access for fans to watch AEW events, airing live weekly matches on TNT in primetime, as well as streaming them through Warner Media's BR Live and on pay-per-view. A leading digital sports enterprise, BR Live's high fan engagement will provide an invaluable opportunity to build AEW's audience. So uh, before we kind of get into the nuts and bolts there, Joe, um, we talked about it a little bit last week in terms of AEW going to TNT. We kind of went with the assumption that that that, that the rap sources were correct and, and they were. So, you know, what are your any do your reactions kind of change from last week or you still think this is a good landing spot overall kind of on a macro sense before we get to the, you know, again, the little micro details there. But on a macro sense, TNT for AEW, thumbs up. Oh, I mean, I don't it's inarguable. I mean, yeah, it's one of the best possible landing spots you could have. Yeah. All right, so there's a few little notes here in the Wrestling Observer. I think that we should we should go over and we'll kind of react to each of these as they're sort of happening because I think there's there's a little nuggets that we can put in all these. So again, this is from this week's uh, Wrestling Observer newsletter by uh, Dave Meltzer. Uh, it says right now nothing is concrete past the point of a weekly two hour live show. Uh, the day of week the day of the week is not official, although it likely likely will be either Tuesday. Or Wednesday night. So that's what we sort of talked about last week. Of like, okay, if there's gonna be two days you're gonna go with, obviously you're not gonna you, you could do Monday. I said that that I'd at least bring it to the table, but probably wouldn't choose Monday. Uh Thursdays we thought were out because of, of NBA properties. Friday was a terrible day to do it too, and you're up against SmackDown the weekend, forget about it. We were left with Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, Dave sort of opines that it's either going to be Tuesday or Wednesday, but that they don't have an official uh day there. But I think what's what the more interesting part about that too is we have confirmed weekly two hour 
live show from AEW. What, what are your thoughts on that, of a weekly two-hour live show in front of presumably a, a, an, an audience, and presumably they're going to tour for these live shows? Yeah, I mean, I thought you had a very good question. When we talk privately, it's like, what no one is really talking about discussing or 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 or, uh, or talking about it at all is, are they going to tape? Are they going to tape? Are they going to go live? Are they going to, what kind of buildings are they going to run if they're going to go live? Are they going to be able to draw weekly? And those are questions people haven't even begun to ask yet. So that's going to be an interesting question for down the line. But yeah, I think this is what we all expected. A weekly two-hour show on Tuesday or Wednesday on TNT. I mean, honestly, I think is what every one of us expected. So none of this was a surprise. Yeah, and the Tuesday or Wednesday is, is the only two days that make any sense whatsoever. I, I think Wednesday is probably going to be the one they choose because it, it doesn't get in the way of any you know current you know, NBA properties. But there, there is going to be, and, and people mentioned it to us after the show last week, that there are going to be weird circumstances where there's NCAA tournament games that might preempt uh, AEW. There might be NBA playoff games that preempt them or whatnot. And and, and that's whatever. Like, you know, you, you cross that bridge when you get to it. I don't think that that's the end of the world. If you're on a, a property like TNT that, that, that does carry big time sporting events that's a benefit and then if you get you know preempted one week or whatever you get moved to midnight or whatever it's it's you know i'm not gonna be uh, that that wouldn't be if i'm at the negotiating table i'm like well forget it then we're out like there's no way i'd say yeah that whatever dude if, if we you know one time in, in during the first week of march madness we we don't have a show and and maybe a few times in may and june we don't have a show like that that to me that wouldn't be something that i would end the discussion for me i i'd be fine with it because tnt i think is such a valuable property that you sort of take that and and you hope that those valuable sports properties advertise for you and then you can get some extra viewers from that so i'm not worried about that at all i think that's fine especially when you're in the position they're in i mean wwe can come to the table and have that gripe sure this is a startup that hasn't run a show yet and i don't think enough emphasis is being placed on the idea that they've got a television deal with tnt before they've run a show and they're a startup so, yeah, you deal with it if you get bumped for first-round action out of Dayton, Ohio for the NCAA tournament. <laughs> right. Okay, you deal with it. Like you said, you air at midnight. Or, you know, what, what? someone else made a good point. Like if they do end up on Tuesday during basketball season, maybe you're an hour show and not a two-hour show. And you're on before the basketball. That's not even the worst thing in the world to be the lead-in for the basketball. Hell no. God, no. That's great. That's great placement, actually. Right. So – you know, yeah, I, I agree. I think you take, you know, it's amazing enough that they're getting this kind of deal. So I don't think you gripe over those over, you know, getting bumped a couple times a year. Absolutely. Uh, no start day was announced, although the belief is that it will be at the start of the fall season in October. Dave sort of looks at some dates uh, here and there that could be, but uh, presumably the start of uh, the TV show will be in October. Hey, real quick, somebody yes. said someone said that like Wednesday, September 4th uh falls on a Wednesday and that's the same day that Nitro started. And wouldn't oh, that interesting. be yeah, yeah. some interesting synergy to st- but do you want to kind of avoid Yes. Yeah, I, I I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I've been seeing a lot of talk about that like people saying, "Hey, you can do, you know, Brian Pillman Jr. and Jushin Thunder Liger and you can do it from the Mall of America and you can have, right. you know, Lex Luger come out in a, a, a frizzy white shirt." And I'm like, "No, I don't want anything to do with WCW." Like I know that the TNT sort of uh, 
they, they kind of hinted towards it, like in, in terms of their social media posts, because it was like when they announced AEW, they show the fire in the background. It's kind of an homage uh, to Nitro. They said we're back in the wrestling business or whatever. There was a little bit of here and there. That's fine if you want to get kind of cheeky on social media and do all that sort of stuff. But I I avoid saying, hey, we're WCW. <laughs> like, I don't know that that's I mean, WCW crash and burn and like historically. Uh, I mean, yes, it, it, there's rose-colored glasses about a lot of WCW. I, you know, still love WCW and still look at it fondly. But if I'm them, I, I chart a whole new path here. I don't want to be WCW. I want to be all elite wrestling. Also, Brian Pillman Jr. stinks. And I don't want <laughs> yeah, that's a bad team. first match. Yeah, don't do that. Okay, that's not <laughs> put on the uh, freaking you know. put on the Chinese acrobats. That is what you do. Absolutely, we just, are new and we're different. Or I mean, they have a ton of great Joshi too. I would do that. I would say here's either uh, yes. an incredible six way you know Joshi match or a six person Joshi match. Or here's some fucking Chinese acrobats. Go you know watch them go nuts. Like put there, on there like are three, that. There's a, yeah. I'll give you a third because I agree with those first two. You send Shima out there with his crew. You send a Joshi a hot Joshi tag out there. Option number three, Rich, is you send the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers out there. Those oh, are your three right, options. For right, yeah, yeah. And But whatever you do send out there, it's just balls to the wall, psychology aside, none of that bullshit. Something hot and action-packed to catch people's attention and fire the crowd up. It's the old – we always use this anecdote, but it's the old Paul Heyman thing where – you know, the the rumor was uh, if he was going to, when Dixie Carter wanted him to take over uh, running uh, Impact, and he was going to open his very first show with the Young Bucks versus the Motor City Machine Guns, and he was going to give them 20 minutes and tell them to do whatever the fuck they wanted. And that's perfect. That's what you want to do. That's how you make a first impression. You blow people's doors off, you get their their attention, and you give them action. The last thing you want to do in that scenario is stick someone out there with a microphone for 18 minutes. Right, yeah. We don't need Brian Pillman in a side headlock. <laughs> you know, that's not going to yeah, do it. And yeah. Yes, and we don't need Brian Pillman Jr. and his two-star specials with, you know, where you're praying he doesn't botch something. I mean, so, yeah, no. That I that idea... I, I still like the idea of the Bucks a little bit more. I, I like my Chinese acrobats, but I like the Bucks just going out there and just tossing yeah. super kicks left and right and Pentagon yeah. throwing Canadian destroyers on the apron left and right and Phoenix popping up and doing shit. Yeah, that sounds awesome, actually. Yeah, I mean, so those are really, to me, those are the only three options. You know, that that that's the way I do it. But um, and I really think this is getting off the beaten path a little. I'm just make this point real quick, and I don't want to get diverted by it. But I think the Chinese Shima's Chinese dudes and the Joshi, both of those have a chance to really capture the imagination of the American wrestling fan, the way that the WCW cruiserweights and the Luchadors did. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, it's not a lock. I don't think it's a guarantee. But one, the other, or both could become that thing that AEW becomes known for the same way that we think of those WCW cruiserweights or the way we used to think of the X Division and TNA, where it's your thing and it's special and it's often the best thing on the show, even if it's not at the top of the card. Those two things have a chance to be that thing for AEW. I agree. Yeah, that's it's, it's great stuff there. Um, all right, so this is where we're going to get a little heated here. <laughs> I'm rearing up here uh, from the Observer again this week. The deal also includes content on BR Live, including pay-per-view shows. Uh, the pay-per-view content will be done more like UFC, where it will be a full-price pay-per-view at $49.95 and not undercutting the pay-per-view provider's price. Uh, that may have been something that had they had little choice on because in cutting recent deals with in-demand Dish and DirecTV, uh, the contract stipulations likely called for an inability to undercut the price on streaming. 
Uh, WWE was able to do that by basically just doing it, and the pay-per-view providers had either had to agree uh, to continue wearing the shows or not, but WWE had leverage due to its long history, which AEW won't have. Okay, so... What we know now is Double or Nothing will be $49.95 on traditional pay-per-view and it'll also be $49.95 on BR Live. Joe, <laughs> thoughts on a $50 pay-per-view from AEW right out of the gates here in a couple weeks. Okay, so we made two very different tweets on this um, about 12 hours apart. I think the pay-per-view is going to do well. And um, I don't want to jump too far ahead in our in our debate here, but I, I think that the price point in this case for double or nothing doesn't matter. I, and I think that the pay-per-view will do well. Now, obviously, the higher you go, the higher you escalate, you're going to siphon some people off. There are people that will not pay 50 that would have paid 40. There are people that will not pay 40 that would have paid 20. Uh, obviously, for free, you're going to get the most possible eyeballs. You charge $100, you're going to get – but I think 50 I see people pay $70, $80, $100 for boxing. I see people pay $60 for UFC. I think there's a novelty aspect to this show. I think that the lineup is incredible. I think it's first time out of the gate curiosity. I think the show does well at $50. Um, beyond that, we can get into a more – detailed discussion i think that but i think the first show do i think monthly shows at 50 dollars a pop that's a different discussion and one that we can get into double or nothing no i'm not worried about it at that price point i think it's going to do well so here's the thing with, with, where i kind of stand with with the double or nothing and i've kind of alluded to it in tweets and and you know we've had just some discussions you know off air about this is to me i, I don't like the optics of it, regardless of if that's what they had to do, if they, if they, you know, they, they wanted to be on traditional pay per view, and because of that, they couldn't, you know, undercut it on streaming with the BR Live, whatever, I, any of that sort of nuts and bolts, we're going to leave out of here for, for this because that's just it was out of their control, and it's, it, it's the deals they cut. I think it's good idea to cut deals with pay per view providers because I think that is still a valuable market. But to me, the optics of we're doing here's the debut show of All Elite Wrestling, and it's going to be forty nine ninety five, and that you know. In, in on the other avenues, if that was a UFC pay-per-view, if that was a boxing pay-per-view, that's not, you know, nobody would, would bat an eye at that. That's a perfectly normal price. If this was five, six, seven years ago, WWE, nobody bats an eye at that price. The problem, though, is that the wrestling business, in terms of big-time wrestling business, we can talk about Ring of Honor and, and Impact and, and how they sort of structure their, their pay-per-view pricing, but, you know, in terms of nobody, like the big guys in wrestling, you have New Japan World, which is a little less than $9 a month. You have WWE Network, which completely changed, for better or for worse, completely changed the, the economy of, rest, of of premium wrestling events with the WWE Network of saying, hey, $10, and you get all of it. You get all of our, our past content, and you get all of our new content. At the time, we said, well, this is ludicrous. I can't believe they're doing that. And they just did it. They just fucking did it, even though it tanked their pay-per-views and it's all that. They just kind of did it. And with it, they changed the dynamics of the of, of, of the industry in a lot of ways. And now you have guys like you know Independent Wrestling TV, which are, again, very, you know, under twenty dollars, fifteen. I mean, and, and WXW, uh, Rev Pro on Demand, like all these ones, uh, Demand Progress, like all these other services have sort of set the price point at like, look, we can't charge thirty, forty, fifty dollars for a pay per view event. We can't charge that much even for a monthly uh, subscription to our service. We have to look at what the industry leaders are doing and look what some of the top companies are doing and sort of adjust our pricing. You know, in, in that way. No, we maybe can't do ten dollars. We can't afford to do ten dollars, but we can do fifteen. We can do twenty. We can try to keep it under that sort of reasonable price point. And for me, seeing AW, you know, and and, and seeing their debut show be fifty dollars on, on BR Live to me that that and and my big issue with that is. 
and, and if I were at the table and if I'm doing these discussions again, I'm looking at it and saying, what is our goal? What is our objective with double or nothing? To me, the objective would be, this is our debut show. Let's get as many people, as many eyeballs and as many people hyped up about this, uh, about not only this show, but this company. We want to say, hey, we have arrived. This is our debut show. This is what we are. This is what we do. This is what you can expect. And by the way, we have two more events coming up. We have a TV show starting in October, yada, yada, yada. And, and to me, I think that that price point for a lot of people, and we're, we're going to see when the when the results come out and if, if we do get you know numbers of those, I do think that that price point is going to be staggering for a lot of people. And, and, and it might potentially cause some some future you know future customers to maybe not get involved in this right away they may they might come back they might come back but for me i don't want to take that risk i want every eyeball i can we're hot WWE's, you know cool you know we got this we just announced this tv deal and now in two weeks we're running this show and you can get it for ten dollars or whatever you want to do or you can get it for fifteen dollars whatever price point you want to do i think there are so many more attractive price points here to get to maximize eyeballs to maximize exposure and to say we have arrived and here's what we are and here's what we're going to be now get ready because it's it, it, we're we're just getting started with this show and this is the beginning and now you got the rest going there and and I think that that fifty dollar price point for a lot of people is going to be your barrier of entry and and I'm if I'm AEW I don't want to cause any barrier of entries right now I want to get every eyeball I can every potential customer every laughs fan every former fan every casual fan I want every single one of them to feel comfortable buying this pay per view and knowing that I'm going to get you know something cool out of this and if I don't you know whatever it's it's going to be fifteen bucks or ten dollars or whatever. And to me, I think you 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 lose some of those those fence sitters at fifty dollars. I think there's a lot of those fence sitters that might say, "Ah, I can't afford that," or oh, "I'll just stream it," or "I'll just steal it," or "I'll just do something like that." And to me, I I don't know. I just don't like the optics of fifty dollars right out of the gates for that first pay per view. What what are your thoughts? Okay, on but that? what's all right? What's a lot? You say a lot of fence sitters. This is where I have a problem, and you know where I'm going with this because we already had sure. the discussion. But this is for the listeners. The problem I have with that counterpoint is when you say a lot of fence sitters. I'm going to do the math. I'm going to lay out the math. Let's say, okay, what did it all in do? 20,000 buys or something like that? Um, did we ever get an so, official uh, on that? Let me let me see if I can get an actual official on that. So we're, we're, we're talking in some, um, okay. some real so, terms here, but yeah. When you say a lot of, uh, you're going to lose a lot of fencers. I don't think the overall universe of potential pay-per-view buyers is all that large to begin with. Let's say the maximum amount of people who would buy this thing at a $20 price point. Do you agree that a $20 price point would not scare people off? Uh, I, yeah, I do. That. Just for the sake of the yeah, argument. Yeah. For the sake of the argument, I would say $19.99 would be a, a price point that I don't think would scare many people off. Now, just estimating high, let's say 100,000 people would buy the show at 20 bucks, which I think is unattainable because bottom level UFC does about 100,000 buys. I don't think but, – but for the sake of the argument, I'm going to estimate high – and say they can do 100,000 buys at 20 bucks, okay? And maybe at 50 bucks, I don't know, they do 20 or 30,000 buys, okay? So you're leaving uh, you know, 50 or 60,000 potential pay-per-view and and that's a high estimate on the table. In the context of drawing eyeballs to your TV, that's not a lot of people. It really isn't. That 50,000 people is not going to make or break you on television. Okay? So and, and, and here's the other thing. The pay-per-view distributors, they know what Ring of Honor and Impact is doing on pay-per-view at a similar price point of $40. Okay, they know. They, 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 it's their business. Obviously, everyone thinks that Double or Nothing can top 
ROH and impact pay-per-view numbers. I think we can all agree on that. Okay. These pay-per-view distributors know that they can charge $50 for this thing and do good business with it based on how many people are buying ROH and impact pay-per-views. That's why I think the show will do well. Whether I think it's a, a smart price point or a good price point is a different question than whether I think the show – I think the show is going to do well at 50. And here's the other thing. If it's a good show, no one's going to care what they paid for it, the people that do buy it. If it's a kick at – if the show lives up, no one's going to talk about how much it costs. The only time people – the only way people are going to talk about how much the show costs is if it stinks. If they're going to charge 50, they got to deliver. That's the other thing, and I think that they will. But if they deliver, it's not going to matter. And if they deliver, they can keep charging 50. If they have a blowaway show, because then people are going to feel like they missed out. So I'm not as aggressively against the price point as some other people are. I think where you're you're trying to build your fan base is with TV. That's where you want to draw as many eyeballs as possible, because that's free. And then you use the TV to sell your pay-per-views. That's been the model forever. It's never the reverse. You're never using your pay-per-view audience to draw the, them to TV because it's too small of an audience. Okay? So it, it's like you do 30 – let's say they do 40,000 pay-per-view buys. You know, it's like that's only 40,000 people. That's, that's nothing for – that means nothing to TNT. So that's, that's reverse thinking in my opinion to try to use the pay-per-view – to draw people to your product. No, you use the free portion of your of, of your product to draw people. And then you 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 take that larger universe and try to convert them into paying customers. So um, I don't look, $50 a month, are they gonna run these things monthly? I think that's asking a lot. But I do think the first show out of the gate will do well. And I think that people will buy it because they don't want to miss out. And yeah, you're siphoning off some people who are who are going to balk at that price point. I get it, but I I trust that the pay per view distributors and and AEW have crunched the numbers enough to know okay, uh, we can make more money selling this thing at fifty, even if we lose ten or twenty thousand or however many pay per view customers, than we could if we got those customers back at twenty. And that's always the balance that you have to play. I mean, shit, they could sell it for $5 and do – but you're making less money. So there's always that be- that delicate balance that you're trying to juggle. And I don't know. My gut's telling me that this particular show is going to do well at 50. The next one, I don't have a feel for that yet. I have to see how double or nothing goes. I have to see how many people buy it. I, see how, I have to see how the show goes. I have to see what kind of buzz they have coming out of the show. I'm not – I'm not making any predictions on the future shows. The first one, though, I'm pretty confident it'll be a success, even at 50. And, and I don't disagree that, that success-wise and, and, and profit-wise, this is probably the better move is to do the 50. But I, for me, and, and, and you sort of said something there a little bit, too, is that you know the TV is going to be what, what we're, where you're going to build your audience and you're going to send them to the pay-per-views. And, and, and I agree. Like in, in, in overall wrestling terms, that's what exactly happens. But we're talking October is when that TV is going to come. It's right. May, <laughs> and you have three shows between the time that we're recording this and presumably when your TV is going to launch. That's a well, lot that's, of time. Well, well, here, well, that, well, here's the thing, though. That's kind of working against your argument, too, though, because you're saying you want to draw as many eyeballs as possible to double or nothing to heat them up for your TV. 
Well, you're going to cool no, them, them up for the product to heat them up to AEW. We are a new company. Here we are. Here's what we do. The, we, you know, bubble wise, we know what they are. We know what we're going to get. There are, I think, you know, presumably, I, I don't know exactly. I think there are a lot of people out there that don't know what the hell this is. I know from, you know, again, like very unscientific, but, but of my little friends groups, I have groups of friends that are asking me every single day, Hey, when's this AEW thing? What's going on? I want to know, you know, sending me, I got to just kind of fucking text as we record this. Oh, do you know Earl Hebner's there? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like they care about the stupidest shit about this. Like yeah, yeah, the yeah. same friend that was asking me about <laughs> Road Warrior Animal. I'm like, I don't fucking know, man. Like, no, who cares? Who cares about Road Warrior Animal? But like some of these people do care and, but they don't know anything about this. They don't know what this product is. They don't know what they're going to get. They don't really know much about Kenny Omega. They don't know much about about the Young Bucks. They know Cody Rhodes from WWE. They know Goldust from WWE. But, but there, there, I think that there is. And again, I'm saying I think. I don't know for sure. Again, I'm not sort of the moneymaker here. I'm not the one sort of deciding and, and, and moving these chess pieces, like you said, maybe the pay-per-view providers are. But I'm thinking that there is a group of fans out there, laps fans, casual fans, fans that are annoyed of WWE fans, that they can grab by the throat with this double or nothing show and say, this is what we are. This is what we're going to be. And, and we have shows coming up. We have pay-per-views coming up. We have uh, a TV coming up in October. Oh, and I, Oh, by the way, we're selling tickets to now our TV tapes because that's going to start having to happen pretty soon too. Again, if you were doing live two hour weekly TV, presumably not from uh, you know, a studio, you're going to have to start selling tickets to these live TV tapings as well. And like, there's a lot of stuff that I think is working against them to the point of like you got to get going here like this is a brand new company but what what let's go like we gotta we gotta get things moving here this can't just be a little every quarter we run a show and yeah 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 it's all fun like that that ended this week now you're weekly on tnt two hours every single week so now it's it's you really got to start grabbing eyeballs grabbing attention getting away from just hey we got like some fun you know people on youtube and we sell twenty thousand tickets whenever we want or whatever yeah it's well and good you know you can sell twenty thousand tickets to these you know random quarterly shows and you can sell some t-shirts and get a bunch of youtube views but you need to get you need to get fans. You need to get people that want to follow AEW, that follow up on YouTube, that follow on Twitter, that follow on Facebook, that want to buy tickets, that want to buy future shows. And, and I just think anything that you can do to deter those people, whoever they may be, and even if they're if it's 20,000, 30,000, I don't know the number. I don't know the number. And I, I'll just readily admit I don't know that number. But that's the number that they're going for. That's the business model of All Elite Wrestling, isn't it? That there is a subset of fans that are not being served by WWE properly, right? You would agree that that's something that they... Yeah however many that is they presumably think that that number is pretty big because they're running a whole company based off those people these fans that are sort of in the muck here that aren't quite sure they're they're not running a company to try to get the 1.8 million people that watch smackdown every week that is not a good way or hopefully that they can convert that 1.8 million into watching all the wrestling that that's i i don't think that's number one on their their mind i think their number one on their mind is there is this group of fans that either feel disenfranchised with WWE that don't love it or whatever and and again this is a somewhat different argument than you said because you're from a business standpoint from a success standpoint I think Double or Nothing is going to do fine. I think they're all going to slap their hands and go, hey, that was pretty good. That was nice and profitable. But I wonder if if they're, they're maybe sacrificing one-day profits and one-day revenue for long-term growth of the company and long-term eyeballs and long-term you know, fan engagement, which I just think is, is, is at $50, it's going to be tough to get those muck fans to say, hey, I'm going to invest in this company. Or, hey, cool, 50 bucks, cool, I'll drop that for these guys. I think you get a sampling. I think you get fans that just say, yeah, whatever, I'll try it for 10 or 20 bucks or whatever. I don't know if you get that for 50. And I think that that, I, I just have this worry that they, if they don't capitalize on that first show, that it's going to be an issue getting those fans to jump on board in October when they say, okay, now we're on TV. Okay, now you can start watching or whatever. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they just will anyway. But I just think this is such a great opportunity to say, 
here's what we are. You know, even if it doesn't have to be a traditional pay-per-view, if you want to say, hey, look, you know, the next shows will be traditional pay-per-view. This is going to be some BR Live special for, for 15 bucks or whatever. whatever. Whatever maneuvering they want to do, whatever they want to call it or whatnot, just some way to sort of get as many people as you can to watch that show. And I just worry that they've put up even the smallest barrier of entry. And I just, I, I'm uncomfortable about that because I think it's a real would, missed opportunity for them. I would agree with everything you're saying if I thought the potential pay-per-view universe was a significant number. But, but do I you agree that the potential universe of wrestling is, is a significant number? Yeah, but without TV, those people are never going to know about this show to begin with. I, I don't think the potential universe of pay-per-view buyers for So they're basically punting until October. Is what That's not punt. No, it's not punting. You can make money at the fifty dollars price point because I think you're going to you're going to get enough of the people who are aware of it to buy it at fifty. Because I think it's going to be a success. What I'm saying, if the potential pay per view universe was a million buys, I would totally be with you. Make it twenty dollars and get every one of them motherfuckers. I don't. I think the potential pay per view universe on this is well under a hundred thousand fans. So then, what we're quibbling about is drawing an extra 10, 20, or 30,000 fans to, 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 to buy this show. And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. I would venture to say that every single person, nearly every single person who is aware that AEW exists, who balks at the $50 price, will be there week one of the TV anyway. So I don't think that lowering the price to get them to buy the pay-per-view and undercutting your profits is helping you build momentum to the TV. I don't think there's a single person who's aware of AEW and is even remotely interested in it who's going to say, you know what? I think $50 is too much for a pay-per-view. I don't have a problem with anybody saying that. I don't think that's – I think they're going to be there week one, though. And I think what's more important than getting a few extra buys for the pay-per-view at a lower price point, what is more important is having a great show that has great buzz coming out of it. That is far more important to me than drawing 20,000 extra buys at $30 less. To me, that's cutting off your nose to spite your face. doesn't make sense. Make your money because those people are going to be there week one anyway. And I can make more money without them buying the show. And they're going to show up week one of my TV anyway. And they're going to feel like they missed out on something great. So they might buy the next one at 50. So that's the way I'm approaching it. If I thought that the, I would totally be on board with you if I thought they had a bigger potential pay-per-view universe to work with, but I just don't. I think their potential pay-per-view universe is relatively small. I think it's well under 100,000 people who in a totally perfect s- scenario, if every single person who was interested in AEW bought the show, I think it'd still be under 100,000 people. That's my opinion based on double or nothing uh, i'm sorry based on all in and 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 their exposure now and how many people are watching being the elite and 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 just my gut so that's where i'm coming from with saying that i don't think 50 is a is this mistake that maybe you think it is and some other people think it is. I don't think you think the 50 is as giant of a mistake as some other people do. No, no. I think, uh, again, success. I I don't think that it's like going to tank the company. It's a terrible idea. And they're not going to. I think it's going to be successful. I just look at it like I've always said. If I was at that table, I would say, guys, that I, I don't want to do anything that's going to make any. Even the smallest person that's going to jump in. I don't want to do anything that's going to make them jump off. Because we need to start selling tickets to live events. We need to start doing all this sort of stuff. Like it, it's go time. And and that's my worry is that you're Can sort I ask of saying. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Here's go my ahead. question. And I'm not trying to, this is not a setup question. But do you think those people who are going to be run off by the $50 price point 
Do you think, A, that they'll be there week one of the TV first week of October? And do you think, B, that they would buy a ticket if AEW came to town, whether or not they were willing to pay $50 for the pay-per-view? Um, I think, B, I, I would say, you know, I'll, I'll answer that one first. I think if you, if, if they, if whoever it is, perspective, Joe Blow, whatever, watches that, that show and goes, holy fuck, that was really good. I love that. That is the type of wrestling that I like. And that's the type of wrestling I haven't been getting uh, for years and years and years. And then they're met a few weeks later with, oh, here's live tickets. Oh, we're coming to Chicago for a TV taping or whatever. I think that you, you've, and, and that's my, and, and again, I was going to kind of bring that up when, when, when you were talking about it. Then I'll get to, to the A part is that you're saying, well, you build it off TV, you build it off TV, you build it off TV. Well, okay, TV's coming and you're, you're selling live event tickets to, to these you know TV shows. Where are you getting these fans? Like, if you're just saying, I just want to appeal to the hardcores, I just want the hardcore, because the hardcores are the only people that are going to pay $50. The hardcores are the people that are going to buy this, which I agree. The hardcores are going to be there no matter what. You could charge $100, and a lot of the hardcores are going to say, fuck it. I know what these guys are going to give me. I know it's going to be a good show. I'm willing to pay that. $50 is not a deterrent for you or me or any of the fans that are, have been on board from day one or, or, or people that have been interested in, in AW and interested in the box and interested in those sort of guys. They will pay the $50. If, their, their, core audience, if their core audience is going to pay the 50 I think we both agree that that double or nothing is going to be a success. Yeah, paper. they're going to pay for that. But but my worry is that are those fans going to be able to sustain weekly two-hour live TV across the country as they're traveling? The answer is no. They they have to find a way to build a pay-per-view audience. I'm sorry. They have to find a way to build a television audience. But where me and you differ, I don't think uh, lowering the price of the pay-per-view is going to help them at all to build a, a, tel- a significant television audience. You think it will. I think it won't. Yeah, okay. And we just, and we just got down to – that's it. That's the, that's the nuts and bolts of our right. disagreement right there. You think a lower price point on pay-per-view will help build a TV audience? I do not because I don't see it as a significant number. And here's the other thing. I think everyone that balks at that $50 price point, everyone complaining about it on Twitter, and I'm not even saying they're not justified. If you think it's too much, it's too much. I can't tell you what your budget is, okay? But I think every single person complaining about the $50 price point is going to pirate it. And that isn't even a bad thing for them because you're getting all those eyeballs anyway then. Right, 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 right. And, and, and from my perspective, I'd rather make as much money as possible on it. Everyone's going to watch. You know they're going to watch. Okay? Now, the people who are going to pirate regardless are going to pirate regardless. Okay? But the people balking at the price who are going to uh, – they're all going to pirate. And, you're, and if the show's a blowaway show and it's great, you're getting the same effect of that buzz, the same effect of having a great show as if they bought it anyway at $20. So fuck it. Sell it at 50 and make more and make and make a higher profit margin off of it especially in this weird time before you start TV and it's your it's literally your only revenue stream so that's where we differ you think the lower price point will create television customers i'm i'm very cold on that idea and i don't i do i don't believe it will yeah, and, and and I do want to say I, I don't think it's just television customers, but I think it's just AEW customers, fans okay, of the, yeah, the that's promotion. It, that, that that's sort of said, yeah. not necessarily just people that because I'm not just worried about people watching on TV. I'm worried about people buying tickets. I'm worried about people buying merch because because I, I still and, and I mentioned that you you mentioned at the top. I'm just like you know coming at it from you know we're doing live TV in October and all we have is these three shows before that to 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 get ready for it. I just I me I, I'm really worried about that. That to me is kind of like this this weird thing in the background that no one as you said is really talking about is like dude these guys. Or travel across the country and like yeah maybe they can sell out four or five thousand seat places but i mean that, that's there's not a lot of those in america and it's just like i wonder i'm just very i i'm i'm confused as in terms of like where they're going to do this and and how they're going to do this and, and and everything that's going to go about it but but i'm excited I'm about it only, I think, i'm not only confused about that i'm concerned about that i i don't know 
if it's going to be a taped show, I don't know that TNT wants a taped show. There's this thing on TV, the press, that's how WWE sells themselves. We're live. Live. DVR proof. DVR proof. Yeah. DVR proof. Yep. Exactly. And and we know that's kind of a fallacy. We just saw <laughs> yeah, right. but but these networks want the lie. They want to be able to say they have live programming. I have serious concerns that AEW can draw live every single week, okay, in buildings that look major league. Do I think they can fill 500 seat, uh, you know, uh, rec halls? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no problem. Do I think they can fill? 5,000 seat mid-level buildings that are going to look good on TV uh, every week? I don't know, man. Do I think they can fill 10,000 seat arenas every week? At this point, no, I don't think they can. I, yeah, I'm right with you too. Every week is, is and I don't think people realize how daunting that is to sort of say, all right, here's our schedule. And here's, you know, th- when they release that schedule, when that happens, like we're talking months, we're talking like four or five, six months of, of, of schedule. And you need to sell every one of those weeks. That's yeah. nuts. Like that is a big, big, big deal that I don't think it is. They have no problem snapping their fingers and saying, guys, we are going to Las Vegas in May. Come with us. That's not a problem. Hey, in September, we're going back to Chicago. People will do that. People will go and spend 14. You know, they will travel. They'll do that. But we even saw with the, the, the whatever the what was the CEO thing last year, you know, Kenny's show that didn't do, you know, what, what uh, didn't live up to a lot of the expectations because people got burnt out of doing these sort of, okay, the G1's coming here and New Japan's coming here in, in America and then there's also all in. There's all We saw it last year where it, it reached a critical mass where people were like, all right, no, 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 I, I have to pick and choose and I, I, I'm not going to the CEO show or I'm not going to do some of these shows or, you know, there's going to be ones that are have to get lost. And like, yeah, I think that these quarterly shows are going to do fine. I don't think they're ever going to have a problem saying, hey, it, we're going to be in, in blank, you know, five months from now, buy your tickets now. That I think I don't think that's going to be a problem for them. I think those will always remain somewhat special. But weekly TV is a different animal, and it's in America too. It is not, and and, and we were kind of t- getting really granular too, which I, I don't think is of interest to anybody whatsoever. But like, there's not that many of those mid-level venues either, and that's a weird thing too. Is is in America, and and people kind of laugh when they see American indies, is that it's either like it's either in the rinky dink, you know, terrible rec hall of some park district or it's it's a major arena we don't really have that much in between you know you watch old raws and it's like they're either in a fucking like hotel ballroom or a high school or then when they got good they were back in like you know or they were in a some civic center in a town you've never heard of or then once they got good then they were back to the basketball arenas there's like this weird like where are you running where where are these shows emanating from and it's just it's very weird and i know that tnt probably doesn't want studio wrestling either even though that might be the most the best idea right. for right now, but that right. to me, I wouldn't do that either. Cause that gives me connotations of the impact zone. Yes. If you're in the same small venue week after week after week, then you get that impact zone wrap. You got to try to find a way to make that cool. But wrestling fans are going to associate, especially AEW fans who are hardcore fans and are aware of what they're going to associate you with the impact zone. And and you know full sales getting that same negative reputation out. Oh, too. absolutely, yeah. And full sale. I mean, the crowds were 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 rabid for full sale for years. Now you watch them, and it's just like, yeah, goddamn, like because it's the same fans I've been watching yes. every NXT taping for the last five years, and they don't give a shit anymore. Especially by you know taping number nine, they don't care anymore. And that's gonna that and that happened with the Impact Zone too. When the Impact Zone first started, it was great. Little by little, and, week by week, month by month, year by year, it just became this dull these doldrums because it's the same ten guys and the, the guy waving the towel there every single week, and it's like, all right, like. Cool. And the entire yeah. concept of AEW is they're built on being cool to their fan base. Exactly. Right. right. So when you cease being cool to the fan base, and that that's where you run that risk. So yeah, 
I, I, that's, I, I do have a legitimate concern with that. As far as charging the same for the pay-per-view and the stream, you know, I get it that other companies are cheaper on the stream end, but they, I can't, I have no interest in that part of the debate because it's out of their hands. I'm not going to debate something they can't control. Right. Okay. They're a new company. The pay-per-view company, they don't have any track record. And zero so leverage. These, <laughs> no zero leverage. leverage whatsoever. So if the pay-per-view companies say, I'm sorry, you cannot undercut us on the stream, That it is what it is. I have no interest in debating it at that point. I have no interest in, okay, well, ROH charges $40 for their pay-per-views, but – no, I don't want to hear the but. Okay? The pay-per-view distributors are obviously allowing ROH to get away with that because they've been on pay-per-view for many years – until AEW can make that choice, I'm not interested in, the, in making that part of the debate because it, it's irrelevant. Because I'm sure if if they if they could, well, I, I shouldn't say I'm sure, but if we knew they had the option to make the stream on BR Live cheaper and didn't, now we have ourselves something we can sink our teeth into and talk about. I have nothing to talk about there in that regard because it's out of their hands. Their hands are tied on that. They kind of have to just – they're in the mode right now. Where they kind of just have to eat shit in some regards. And to be honest, they've already fucking manipulated their way onto TNT without ever running a show. I think they don't need to shake any fucking, uh, you know, it just did. <laughs> Rattle any sabers, whatever you want to call yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> rock don't any rock boats. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, right, right. Yes, sir. I will charge 50 and that's that's fair. And you just do it. Okay. You, 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 you know, so I'm not interested in that. Here's the other argument that just makes me roll my eyes. This makes me roll my eyes just as fast as it's a t-shirt company or any of these other goofy things you see where I instantly, to me, you lose credibility in, in, in my eyes. The other thing I don't like is $50, I can get uh, Stardom World and New Japan World and, and, uh, and, and Progress and this and that for $50. Okay, but none of those services have this show. People are going to pay for a show that they want to see. It's It's – Stardom World or whatever fucking other goofy streaming service that you're saying only costs you $8 a month or whatever. It, it's not – if someone wants to see Double or Nothing, that's not a, a, a substitute. It's not about, uh, okay, I can spend $40 less, but I'm not getting what I want. What I want is Double or Nothing. People are going to pay for something they want, and it doesn't matter what something else costs if they don't want that. Right. So I'm so tired of seeing that argument. Yeah, it's like, it's, wow. it's it's somewhere like the food analogy. Like, yes, I could get 15 Big Macs for you know thirty dollars or whatever, and and but I'd rather just buy a thirty dollars steak because I'm probably going to enjoy it more. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. you are assuming that uh, you see. Here's the thing: that type of argument comes from someone who's not super into seeing Double or Nothing, and also enjoys all of this other wrestling, and they're saying I could get more out of my money that way. Sure, that works for you. But there's people out there who want to see Double or Nothing. They don't give a shit about Stardom World. They don't give a shit about New Japan World. They don't care about fucking Honor Club or whatever the fuck. So they would rather spend 50 on Double or Nothing than spend $10 on five services that they're never going to watch. That argument means nothing to me. It immediately – I just immediately turn you off if you make that argument. It doesn't mean anything. We have proven – that people will pay $100 for a Floyd Mayweather fight. They'll pay money for something that they think is special and they want to see. I mean, and, and that has not been disproven yet. Even though WWE changed their pricing model, that hasn't disproven the fact that people are willing to pay a lot of money for something that they think is special and that they, they very badly want to see. Right. Stardom World costing $8 isn't going to change that. 
So anyway, I wanted to get that off my chest too. Uh, some other stuff here. We want to get into the uh, one-hour buy-in pregame show will air on all social media channels, including YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter in North America. That is the uh, the pre-show for Double or Nothing. There, uh, Dave also mentioned that Showtime was the other TV suitor, and I think that they, uh, I, I think TNT is a much better spot than Showtime. I the Showtime one would have been. Note on bad. that too. He said that that wouldn't even have been weekly TV. He 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 says that that probably would have been like when Showtime was showing Strike Force, and it was more of you're going to get like a uh, bi-monthly or monthly or whatever one big show a month right, right so that right. wasn't even gonna be yeah which actually i mean was an interesting model for them to consider because it's like we just said we're confident they could do well under that scenario sure um but the 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 you know the bigger growth potential obviously and every and all the other right there's a ceiling on showtime like i think showtime right. might be in 2019 all elite wrestling might be a better landing spot but i i if i'm them say no no, no we, we have bigger Hey, but hey, how about this? I mean, listen to this. If they couldn't, if they weren't able to get TNT and Showtime was the only offer and it was for, you know, six shows a year for X amount of dollars, that would have been a good deal too. It's just this TNT deal was way too good to to pass up. Uh, There were some similarities here to Vince McMahon's XFL deal, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Disagree. uh, In the sense, so we'll get to that in a sec. There is no direct rights fees, although there are some financial guarantees in the deal, and the financial value of the deal is incredible for a startup company. That is his word. Uh, Let me me read this next paragraph, too, because I think that works uh, in with the deal as well. Uh, The key is that Warner Media will be paying for production, the value of which is unknown, but that shocks uh, most in the wrestling industry because in the modern era, very few wrestling deals are very few wrestling deals actually paid for production. WWE still pays for their production, which is key because the person who pays for production controls the final product of what is produced. Uh, but WWE and UFC have for years wanted full control of the production. I'll read this last little paragraph too, and then we'll kind of do the overall parts about the deal. Uh, there is also an ad revenue split with a downside guarantee. So the final value of the deal will be directly related to ad rates and attractiveness of the product, as well as in the long run, the ratings. This behooves AEW to do an advertiser-friendly show. Uh, there's been talk of a startup, very sports-centric product with similarities to UFC and Mid-South Wrestling in different ways, with analytics used in store Alliance from win-loss records to other detailed statistics and likely rankings and such. How this will all transpire is still unknown, and there is questions of uh, being able to make it work since nothing has ever been done like this in the past. Uh, the belief within the company is that the deal will allow them to be profitable by 2020. So, okay, Joe, a few little things there. No rights fees. Similar to the XFL deal in the sense that it has no rights fees. Similar to the XFL deal in that they're paying for production. But I think you and I can both agree, and we'll talk about it here, there are a, a mountain of differences between this and the XFL deal uh, in terms of costs to operate more than anything. Yeah. I mean, this is similar to the XFL deal. If you're looking at it from a surface level and you don't do any critical thinking whatsoever, it's similar in that they're not getting any rights fees and it's similar in that the network is paying for the production, but here's the, the, the key difference is uh, AEW is getting an, an, an ad rate split, which is I, who, I mean, you know, AAF didn't get that. XFL isn't get football. Is these football startups aren't getting that? Okay, that's why this deal is is being underplayed uh, in a lot of circles. I mean, they're getting their production paid for, and they're getting an ad split. Okay, so they're not getting rights fees. But let me frame it this way: and we asked somebody who was part of the front office of TNA at the time that they had their very best deal on Spike TV. At the time of the very best deal. That this is the, probably the, the second best deal ever in wrestling, non WWE division. Okay, TNA was getting twenty million dollars in rights fees at the peak uh, from Spike TV, but they weren't getting their production paid for. 
They weren't getting the ad split. Okay. And there were at points where Spike was chipping in money for some of the larger contracts. Hulk Hogan, a couple others I don't remember. I don't know. If Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle definitely was. Yeah. Um, right. Tito Ortiz. You remember the- <laughs> yeah. So you got to factor that into. But they're uh, getting I'm remembering 20- the gif of Tito Ortiz coming down to the ring and Kennedy having to ask. That was that was one of my favorite gifts of all time and favorite moments oh, of yeah. all time. Just, you know, Tito Ortiz with his hands you know, crossed and Ken Kennedy for five minutes having to be like, oh, no, it's Tito Ortiz. And then I don't even remember what happened. Nobody cares. Anyway. So they're getting 20. They were getting 20 million in rights fees, but they're paying for their own production. So that it evaporates. But that money's gone when you're when 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 impact is traveling from city to city. Remember, they were taping in different cities at that time, burning through that money. The production in this deal is paid for and you're getting an ad split. So even though you're not getting that upfront um, rights fee, this is actually uh, it has the potential to be a far more uh, financially beneficial offer than the spike uh TNA deal was. And in comparison to XFL, they're getting no ad money. Okay. They're getting their production paid for, which uh, we figured out it came out to a little under $15 million. Okay. A little under $15 million for the XFL to cover the production. And it's an eight team football league. You're paying 50 players per team. You're paying a 10 man coaching staff per team. You're paying office staff per team. You're paying office staff for the league. You're paying Oliver Luck probably a couple million dollars a year. The overhead on the XFL is exponentially right. Stadiums, higher than the overhead. Yeah. Employees at the stadiums stadium, renting the stadium. And, yeah. And, and all of that, AEW is paying a staff of 40 wrestlers and, and the six fucking vice presidents that are all wrestlers as well. That's it. The overhead is so much less. Yeah, I estimated I mean, that so, actual employees of that company of, of AEW right now, somewhere in the range, I would say 50, 60, maybe of all the people we know. And there might be some more people, under, you know, definitely under 100. I mean, let, let's let's if we want to be, you know, we can probably cut that in half. But if you want to say very much under 100, whereas that's two XFL teams, <laughs> you know what I mean, is, is well over 100. This so. would be comparable to the XFL if AEW was running eight wrestling promotions. Because the XFL has eight football teams. That that's right. basically would be a comparison. So, I mean, this is a better deal than the XFL got. I mean, plus, again, they're getting a piece of the ad money. So, I, I think those comparisons um, are, are not nearly as similar no, as, they're as pretty a lot bad, of people yeah. think. And I do think – and let me ask you a question, Rich. Would you rather have $20 million in rights fees from Spike TV and nothing else – or would you rather have zero dollars in rights fees, your production covered, and of and a piece of the ad pie from TNT? Are you taking option A or are you taking option B? I'm definitely taking option B because you know, and and I, we've kind of talked about this a little bit too, many 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 moons ago when AEW was kind of talking about TV. Is the production startup costs for buying cameras, cameramen, lighting, you know, video board, all this sort of shit that that really adds up where, yeah, if you gave me a $20 million check and said, here you go, here's your rights fees, I'm probably paying that with, you know what I mean? I'm probably cashing that in and and that is all my cost to just get that thing up and running, just get the production up and running. And we saw that with these same guys when they went to Ring of Honor and said, hey, look, can we borrow all of your stuff? Because we you know, don't want to buy our own stuff because it's not that easy. It's very, very expensive and the costs add up there. So all this is really doing when you're looking at it is it's moving money from one way to another. And it's basically, you know, whatever pocket the money is going to come from, which is not dissimilar to what the XFL thing was, as well as saying, hey, you guys don't need to buy cameras. You don't need to buy all that. We'll handle all that. AEW is getting that same sort of deal. But then, like you said, they're, they're with now what they're allowing AEW to do is that the ad split 
money is 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 presumably going to be pretty good if, if TNT can sell this thing, and that's going to be the question. Is and they've got a downside. And, and there's a downside, downside to it. it. Yes. And what so you're also doing too, yeah. What you're also doing too is we haven't heard anything about this too in terms of who's taking the money or whatnot. But presumably, AW now merchandise and tickets are going to go to them and they are have proven that's two things that they've proven so far they can do is sell tickets to shows to big shows and they can sell the fuck out of merchandise so you get that where the xfl again when we compare it the xfl has not proven and it didn't prove in 2001 and the af certainly proved that it's very difficult to, to get people into the door to get people to go to stadiums that is a huge uphill climb for these upstart football leagues and then to buy merch is a whole different i mean you can't even get started talking about merch yet uh for that too whereas AEW already has inroads in that in terms of buying tickets and into so they're they're good in those two things and they're also going to get the ad split and they don't have to have the overhead cost of production which is pretty damn good two things if you think they got an xfl deal you're lost you're not paying attention and number two this is without question the best non-wwe tv deal for a pro wrestling company of all time because anyone who takes option a and takes the 20 million from spike okay you, you that rather than taking the zero dollars from tnt where your production paid and a split of the ad money, and you're on a better network on prime time. Anyone with a brain has taken option B. This is the second best. This is the best non WWE deal in the history of televised wrestling. It, it, this is it. This is the best deal. This is better than TNA's best deal. I can't think of another one, Rich. MLW is on BN Sports. Okay. Um, uh, Impact today is on Pursuit. And prior to that, they were on Pop TV getting $300 per commercial. Rich, we were almost making more for our ads than Impact was making. <laughs> there was a time. And that's legit. Yeah. Okay? So, I mean, you know, so everyone getting on a certain reporter. When he said that they were going to get the best money deal of any non-WWE promotion of all time, you should be apologizing if you're ripping him because he's right. There, what's a better deal than this one? So I just wanted to get that in there too. Absolutely. Uh, thoughts on, and, and this has been mentioned a few times too, control of the production in terms of TNT having control of the production. And presumably, we don't know what the deal is. Well, I guess we'll have to find that out. Well, presumably now TNT have rights to that footage. And how does that sort of work out too? Or has AEW worked it out where, I don't know. That That's a question we don't know the answer to. And I'd love to hear because if, if TNT sort of owns that footage, that that becomes an issue too. Of like, how how are you going to roll it out on on on, on streaming? How are you going to do stuff later? Like, obviously, BR Live is going to be what they're going to do. But but the idea that you don't own it, that TNT owns it, to me that that it worries me slightly. I just want to know kind of the details of that. Not that it's like a, a, a again. I'm not going to the negotiating table and saying, well, fuck that, we're out then. Like, I'm not going to do that because we've seen that happen with plenty of uh, of Japanese promotions over the years. That the TV companies uh, and even still to this day, sometimes the TV companies will, will handle all the production, do all the camera work, do all that sort of stuff. But then they own the pr- the, the, the the you know the footage. So in a case where like Junakiyama breaks off and creates his own, you know, new all Japan pro wrestling, he doesn't own any of the footage from the prior all Japan pro wrestling. So when they're launching their streaming service, they can't really do that. So all that sort of does is like, it's just a weird little thing that I'd like to kind of know if there's some details on if, if AEW has, there's a lot of dirty details that none of us know yet that I'm very curious of. Hey, hey you know, the other thing, if you want to compare it to the XFL deal, the XFL deal, you cannot make money for the first three years. The first year you can possibly make a dime would be the fourth year, and that's if someone chooses to then pay the XFL after the first three years are up. The AEW deal, they're positioned to make money in year two because they're not cutting that three or four hundred or five hundred thousand dollar production check every week. Someone else is fit, foot in the bill for that. They only have to worry about their in-house, pay their own people. 
They don't have to pay, they don't they're not paying the production bill. So if this thing, if they get viewers and they convert them into pay-per-view buyers and they're selling out arenas, they are positioned to make money in year two. The XFL cannot make money until year four if they even make it that far. So th- there's the there's the other key difference between those two deals that just dummies are saying are the same deal. They're not even close to the same deal. They have surface level similarities at best. That's it. Uh, one other question too, and, and it, it sort of comes with the, the production one too, is that this this deal because there is no rights fees because there's no what appears to be a set contract is is. Is there any out clauses? Is there any real investment in terms of Warner saying, okay, we are with you for X amount of years or whatnot? I'd be fascinated to hear about that too, because that's one of the always the worries that always comes up with, with, with any of these deals is that is there something we talked about even with WWE and Fox? Is there something in there that says, hey, look, if you're not delivering ratings, you're, you guys are out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I'm very curious what this deal is because there isn't uh, a, a top down investment from TNT that we can see, but maybe that downside has some sort of language in there. I'm sure they've, again, tried to work that out, but but again, they're a startup wrestling company. They do not have the leverage to say, no, you got to be with us for five years because TNT is going to say, well, fuck off, dude. No, we're not going to be. We'll be with you as long as you're successful. So it, it's the onus is on TNT or uh, on, on AEW as well to be successful because I haven't heard anything about a guarantee uh, listen, from, from TNT's side. It's television. You got to deliver. Right. People are going to have to watch this thing. That is absolutely, and I don't know that people are going to. I'm far less confident in that than I am with the pay. I'm confident in double or nothing. I think yes. that will do well. Yeah, I think that's a, that's an interesting point that that I don't think that people and maybe maybe we haven't projected that because people are always like, oh, you think everything's going to be great? And you think it like I don't know that this TV is going to be successful. Like, no, I, I'm not you confident. Know, in that I, I don't know. Like, TV wrestling is not a uh, you know, it, it's very very difficult. It took it, it took WCW years to get successful uh, on TV. It took WWE years to you know recover from when you know they were successful then they tanked and then they had to get back and and now they're kind of back at this weird i don't know i am very <laughs> I, I don't know pessimistic i don't know what, what the word is i I'm, I'm worried because there's a lot of things there's a lot of red flags there's a lot of concerns that i have of like are you gonna be able to deliver where tnt is gonna go yeah this is good we want to have this on prime time you know in a big time spot on a big time night i, I don't know I, just as i'm not really confident about WWE on fox like when when we when we get into these big boy moves and these big boy stations on these you know huge huge time slots this is you know we're playing with as you said you got to deliver in tv tv they don't give a shit you can love freaking freaks and geeks all you want if it didn't deliver ratings hit the fucking bricks guys yeah yeah like one of my favorite shows ever i love that show it didn't meet ratings hit the fucking bricks i mean there are people, everyone listen people crying about canceled tv shows goes back to whenever tv started right and it, <laughs> and it happens to every time netflix cancels a show everyone complains that netflix is the worst company on earth and but if these if people are they they have the data okay you know, your one day at a time isn't on Netflix anymore because no one was fucking watching. Okay, that's the bottom line. And it's cold and it's ruthless. And you're absolutely right. That's how it works. Yeah, so it'll be awesome to see how that goes. But uh, so that is the AEW thing. Uh, some other questions. I think we we got it here. Uh, I mean, overall, I think a thumbs up on the deal. I, I think you would agree as well. There is some stuff about it that's going to be a little weird. Maybe we're not. Here's the thing. It's a tremendous deal. I think that's inarguable. But that doesn't mean they're going to be successful. That that's the thing here. Um, it, both of those things are, can be true, and both of them to me are true. That they got a great, advantageous deal, but it does not guarantee anything. You still have to deliver, and you still have to produce. And there are a lot of big question marks which we brought up. Can they draw weekly? And can they draw television viewers weekly? The other component we should probably bring up before we move on is the online component and the BR Live. It was 
hinted to us, suggested to us, and told to us all along over the last several months by people in that company that a large component of any deal they were going to make was going to be multi-platform. That was important to them, and that was important to their partners. So um, from the TNT perspective, there may be a component to this where um, they may allow for lesser performance via traditional television viewers if it's helping their streaming platform uh, you know, on the other end. We don't know that for a fact. I know Dave alluded to, to that. Dave Meltzer alluded to the idea that, hey, maybe they can get away with doing as little as 400,000 viewers if they're helping Time Warner on the streaming end. That seems super low to me because when you look at the Wednesday night, you know, it, it seems like even the bottom level stuff is, is close to a million for those nights of the week on that network. 400,000 seems like a steep drop off from there to me. So that number is dubious, in my opinion, until I hear otherwise from other sources. But there's also that online component that I think um, you know needs to be brought up. And here's another question, another detail of the deal that we don't know. Is AEW getting any kind of cut from the online component of this? Is, are they saying, hey, look, if you can help increase uh, you know, our, our BR Live uh, – views, presence, uh, subscriptions, whatever, you get X amount. We don't know that either because the details of this deal are hardcore under lock and key. You're not going to get any, trust me, you're not getting anything. <laughs> no, out and, of they're, the and they're a private company and, and they don't necessarily need to. They don't have to tell you. And believe me, they're not, they're telling, not you. telling anybody. <laughs> they are not telling you. Unless you know Khan, maybe you can get it out of him. They liquor him up or something maybe is a good idea, but yeah, I don't... And, uh, if you, but people who work for Khan are not talking about this deal, and they're not going to talk about this deal. It's just not going to happen. You have to get your information from the Time Warner side or from Khan himself. All right, so we'll move on to some other topics here. Uh, real quickly, though, uh, as we're recording this, uh, news came out. Ashley Massaro, former uh, WWE star, uh, dead at age 39. So that is all we okay. know right now. So, so that's that we don't know. It's it's under investigation or whatnot. It's something probably better to talk about next week if, if there's any more yeah. details about it. But uh, yeah, Ashley Massaro dead at 39 as we were going on the show today. So uh, we Just heard this has been the, a weird uh, day. It's been a weird day. WrestleCon. Just saw her at the WrestleCon. Right. Oh yeah, she was there. Yeah, you and I walked right by her <laughs> if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's yeah. um yeah, that's 39's that's not good. Yeah, that I, I yeah. You know, again. This is breaking news. You would think that there's something suspicious going on there when a 39-year-old person dies. Um, you know, I, I will withhold comments until next week. Absolutely, yeah. We, we need to figure out what's going on, going on there. But, yeah, this has been a wild day, too, because we also had, like, you know, multiple times Ric Flair was dead and then survived uh, this day as well. One of those days, similar to what it was a few years ago, too, when he was in that coma. And it was like, all right, everyone, you know, this is it for Ric Flair. And he's got a 5% chance. And he was back and ready to go. This was a weird day where it's like, he's going in for surgery. It's fine. It's scheduled. Wait, it's not scheduled. It's a terrible surgery. Wait, no, it's scheduled. It's fine. He's fine. Wait, no, I heard some bad news. No, I, it's fine. So as of this recording, Ric Flair is fine as well. So it was a weird day in terms of um, you know, much stuff going on there with uh, unfortunate wrestling news there, but uh, let's get to some other stuff here. Uh, we, of course, have uh, the best of the Super Juniors going on right now in New Japan. Uh, just want to check in. At, we're doing this after Night 4, recording this on the 16th. 
Uh, so just the, here's the block standings for you. You know, I, this will change by the time some of you guys listen to this. So we just want to reiterate that we're talking about this after night four. So if you're like, yeah, you guys are wrong. That happened this time. You know, we do have a, there is a day off though, at least. So, right. So hopefully we're good. Yeah. This is, this is one of those rare if you days. Listen to the pod, if you listen to the, the, the show, like later in the cycle, later this weekend, this is going to be old. But if you're one of these people and most people listen to it within the first 24 right. hours. Right, so you're good. You're good. We will yeah. actually be, because New Japan screws us a lot with these like Friday morning shows, and it's like everything yeah. we talk about is immediately irrelevant by the time most of you guys listen to this. But uh, anyway, block A, you have Shingo on top with four points. He's tied with Taiji Shimori and Tiger Mask, also all at four points. Uh, Dragon Lee, Jonathan Gresham, Marty Scroll at two points. Teton also at two. Uh, and then uh, in last place, show. Takamichinoku and Kanemoro at zero points in your A block. Uh, your B block, uh, things are a little more wild there. Uh, you got Duki. Uh, <laughs> he's at two. Doki, I know how to actually pronounce Doki, and I, I fucked it up there. Uh, El Phantasmo at four. Robbie Eagles at four. Ruzuke Taguchi at four. Will Osprey at four. Yo at two. Bandito at zero. Bushi at zero. Renarita at zero. And Rocky Romero also at zero. So uh, just kind of going over the blocks here real quick. A block, uh, I think... The top two guys, you know, Shingo and Taiji Ishimori make all the sense in the world. Tiger Mask is doing one of his odd little, he, he does this every few years. And I think he did it even, what was it, two years ago, where he had this like miraculous run. He was at the top with like eight points and then he lost the rest of his matches and he was out of there, uh, you know, pretty quickly. But uh, interesting to see that. And that's a lot of how the kind of the booking lays out too uh, with Tiger Mask. But I am not surprised by Shingo and Taiji Ishimori. And, and I could see that uh, sort of staying at the top with those two dudes uh, for a while. What do, you, what do you think about the A block so far? Yeah, I stand by the idea that Shingo should go undefeated. Um, I don't think he should lose a single match. And I think he should win the final two. Um, but yeah, Ishimori will be there till the end. Tiger Mask will not, as you noted. Dragon Lee will be. Um, as far as people with zero points, I think um, Sho will will go on a run and be in the mix towards the end. And Taka and Kanemura will not. Rich, I talked about this behind the paywall. I'm going to plug. I'm... I'm, I'm Reviewing every show behind the paywall the day of the show. We've got first four reviews in, $5 level for that, patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling. I review every show in excruciating detail. Rich, something I talked about after day four. Taiji Ishimori, uh, not Taiji Ishimori, they shot an angle with Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Shingo after their tag match today. Kanemaru attacked his knee with a chair and... I'm going to run this by you. It's going to sound nuts at first. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm strapping. Hear me ready. out. Okay. Hear me out. The next a block main event is Shingo versus Kanemura. Okay. That's number one. Number two, um, Kanemura, they're, they're doing this thing where Shingo's coming into the match with an injured knee because Kanemura attacked his, his, his knee with the chair. That's number two. Number three, if Shingo is going to drop any matches in this thing, okay, he can't really drop them to anyone who's going to be in contention because he has to have tiebreakers overall. Right, 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 right. Guys, okay. At the same time, if you have him go undefeated, there's zero drama going into the last day because he will have defe- he would have beaten everybody. So the only possible drama is if he loses to the guy he's facing, only if that person has one loss or less. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. So a perfect spot for Shingo to lose would be to a veteran guy who is a heel who injured him before the match who's facing him in a main event uh, the very next night and who also won't be in contention because then the win won't matter over Shingo if he only has like four points going into the last night. Is it crazy to say that Yoshinobu Kanemaru after the events of today could be your best bet to beat Shingo and give him his only loss? All right. Um, it It is, but it's 
it's not at the same time. <laughs> you're, you're not totally off base because we've talked about this with G1 too. Sometimes to even stuff out, to kind of make things sort of work in terms of the scoring and to add some drama to stuff, some guys have to take pinfalls. Some guys have to take losses. And we always say the best guy to lose to is Toriano. Because if Kenny Omega loses to Toriano, people don't say, oh, geez, well, that's your, you know, your IWGB heavyweight champion just lost to Toriano. That's bullshit. Because it's Toro fucking Yano. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, whatever. And, and Kanemura was kind of that of the best of the Super Juniors. He could some spit some whiskey in your eye and roll you up, and it's like, motherfucker. Like, he didn't beat Shingo. He didn't beat Taiji Shimori. He just cheated and kind of used some nefarious means and got him. And and no, that guy wasn't wouldn't lose anything. That guy wouldn't right. lose... You know, it's, people. The rep of Shingo is not lost by him losing the Kanemura. You know, right. the, chef, the rep whereas, of Ishimori wouldn't. Whereas if you know, if if Shingo lost to Dragon Lee, it's like, well, fuck, man, that's the guy. Like, really? not even Dragon Lee. If Shingo, if Shingo lost his random match to even things out, just because Jonathan Gresham out wrestled him, that's a bad look. Right. But if he loses to Kanemura, who everyone knows is a twenty-year veteran, he's he's he gets booking respect to a degree. He injured the guy's knee coming into the match, which gives him an out right there. There's his out. There's his excuse for losing. I think this is a, this is a tricky spot. I think if he's going to lose a match, this might be the one. You don't want him losing to Dragon Lee or Taiji Ishimori because then because then he's he doesn't have the tiebreaker edge, and then right. those guys have to lose an extra match. Right. And the other thing too is like you and lose. Do you want potential... those guys losing an extra match? No. And and the other thing too that I mentioned why why I mentioned like a guy like a Dragon Lee or an Ishimori or whatever if Shingo was to lose to those is that those are all future matches that you want to build to and 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 at least keep some sort of intrigue and interest in and whatnot. If Shingo just loses to Dragon Lee, it's like all right. Well, you know, it's lots of Dragon Lee. That kind of, you know, he's not, you know, so whereas, you know, Kenamoro, nobody has any sort of idea that Kenamoro is ever going to be in the mix of the title mix or I did. So it's like, whatever, dude. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. So, no, I, I don't think you're you're nuts about that. And I I, I hadn't seen the angle. Actually, I watched the night four and I don't remember that. Ha- was it when did it happen? Was it on the one of the post show? It was a ta- it was after the tag match. You probably weren't. Paying oh, see, I didn't watch any, I didn't watch any of the undercard tags. I yeah. just went right to the. OK, so that makes all the sense of the world. Why I would have missed that. Well, there's one of those things that like when you miss the undercards, sometimes you miss cool stuff like that. So which, by the way, I watch the undercards so you don't have to. And I mm-hmm. review everything. Patreon.com voice wrestling uh, slash whatever it is. Um, <laughs> Patreon.com slash voice wrestling. Yes, you had it right. I'm not saying Kanemura is going to win. I don't think he's going to win, but I'm not a. I w- before that angle, I would have told you Shingo is 100% winning the match. I'm not at 100% anymore. I think that's the match he could lose, but I'm still putting him at like 98% to win that match. Right, right. It's just like you, you they shoot an angle like that, you assume because everything sort of matters in, in, in some ways, especially yes. with those undercard tags. Things matter. So uh, that's interesting. I, I, I'm i going to be very curious about that. And, and that would, again, make a lot of sense. It makes probably some people mad, but I think it also be the best strategy if you if you need to sort of work things out and and have it for me i just have shingo run through everybody because who fucking cares i do too <laughs> yeah, right. but, if you, but if you have him go undefeated into the final day you have to have whoever his opponent on the final night is have no more than one loss right exactly ishimori has to pretty much be perfect too yeah yes. there's a lot of stuff that's got to have to sort of happen there so you and, give and, more leeway with the rest of the booking if you can give shingo at least one loss going yeah, into it right exactly i would not do that but see you see where i'm going with this now it kind of just it makes things easier for them it does it really if, does yeah. if shingo can drop one match but um and and i and i just think that the way they've set this up that would be a good spot to do it and it's suspicious that it's the main event that's all I'm saying. No, definitely. Um, 
the main events have been a little weird. We'll talk about the, <laughs> the night four main event and some other stuff here. But uh, other guys, I want I did want to mention with the A block. Uh, well, actually, no, we're gonna get to we'll get to that in a bit. We'll do standout matches and standout wrestlers yeah. here in a bit. Let's just go over the blocks here real quick. So I mentioned again, uh, B block. You have El Fantasmo, Robbie Eagles, Ryusuke Taguchi, Will Osprey, all tied with four points. You have Doki with two, Yo with two, and then Bandito Bushi, Ren Narita, Rocky Romero, all at zero. Uh, as far as that glut at the top, I assume that will kind of get worked out as we go. But it's clear we have one block that's like kind of like dominant powers in terms of Shingo and Taiji. Shimori. and then the B block is going to be, I think, a little bit more varied because you have guys uh, like Adoki who could probably take a bunch of losses, and Red and Rita who will lose every single time. And what appears to be potentially with Rocky Romero too, where he might have some hope spots and it might get really close to winning, but will probably lose most of his matches too. So I feel like you're going to have in that B block a few sort of powerhouses there, whether it be Fantasma, whether it be Taguchi, probably Osprey. I mean, Osprey is definitely going to be in there. Taguchi probably, uh, and Fantasma I think will probably be in that mix too. So I think you'll have a few more guys in the mix there with the B block. But uh, overall thoughts on, on where we are right now uh, in terms of the B block and the standings. So the B block, the four guys at the top, Robbie Eagles will drop off. It's yes. going to come down to Ospreay, Taguchi, and Phantasmo. Ospreay and Taguchi face each other on the final night. Phantasmo is getting the monster push. He's going to be in the mix. The four guys with zero, I don't see any of them going on a big run. I don't think any of them will contend. That's Bandito, Bushi, Narita, and Romero. Narita and Romero definitely will not contend. Bandito, I he's got 500 or a couple maybe one or two under 500 written all over him, uh, but he'll win some more matches and Bushi is Bushi. So, um, and, and, and yo, and uh, Dookie, you know, he might win one or two more matches tops and I don't expect yo to compete either. It's going to come down to uh, what you the way you see the standings now are pretty much, I think they're not going to finish drastically different. No, I think that that Phantasmo Taguchi Osprey is going to be your top three. Those guys are going to be battling it out with Will Osprey. I think emerging, but Taguchi is always in the mix there, man. We, you can never doubt on him uh, in his best of the super juniors. They always have in the mix. Yeah. And, and maybe even up until the final day, he could be still kind of in that mix to win it. Eagles just had the benefit of wrestling Romero and Narita out of the gate. So right in, in in the Flip Gordon scenario, I would probably have Flip beating him and and Eagles at two points. You, you know what I mean? Whereas with Narita now, everything gets changed a little bit. Where some of these numbers are going to look a little bit bigger. Uh, a right. Doki too. I I <laughs> probably Doki's going to lose most of the rest of his matches there. But yeah. he had to be he had to face Ren Narita and he had right. to beat Ren Narita. So. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Doki ends with two points. You know what I mean? Like I, that wouldn't stun me, but he had to get that one win right there. Doki, uh, Doki, Doki's a guy too, who can get cheap wins over people. He can be that guy in the B block. So he can be your, your Yano in the B block where he can be a, a, a an equalizer of sorts to, to, to give people the key lo- the losses that they need to a guy who's not going to contend. Right. And a guy who's not going to come back and, and, and get a title right. shot over whoever he beats or whatever. He's not going to have right, a right. feud with Will Ospreay, even if he beats him or whatnot. So uh, ugh, I'm shuddering at the thought of Toki beating Will Ospreay, but uh, we'll get to that. Uh, first off, who has impressed you so far uh, in terms of this? Who have been kind of your standout wrestlers and maybe some matches that really stood out to you as well? So the overall themes to me so far, and we're only two nights into each block, is will Shingo go undefeated? That's even a big theme on the commentary. Um, so this is like Shingo is being built as this indestructible force, and who can take him out? And uh, it's been all about show, even though he hasn't won a match. I mean, we're clearly seeing the beginning stages of the elevation with the new hair, the new music, uh, the focused match against Shingo right out of the gate night one, and then the main event in his next match. And uh, he doesn't need to win these matches now. He just needs to have good showings and, and take his steps and his progression. So to me, um, those are the two key themes so far in the tournament. As far as standout performers, 
I mean, you know, Show has been very good in both of his matches. Uh, Will Ospreay, I think, had two excellent matches. I, those were both notebook matches to me. Robbie Eagles, uh, you know, I predicted that he would really finally have a chance to shine with some focus singles matches, and he has looked great in both of his matches. Phantasmo looks like a star. Um, so, yeah, those would be the ones that, that jump out to me. Yeah, in terms of uh, you know, kind of matches that have really, and I'm kind of the same guys, you know, in terms of wrestlers that have stood out to me, matches that have stood out to me, you know, going over night one, and, and we'll talk about this in a bit. And I know you've talked about it on your reviews too. Shingo and Show, if you are listening to this and you have not watched Shingo and Show, go out of your fucking way to watch that match. That is a surefire match of the year contender for me. It is absolutely in my top 10. I went four and three quarters. You, you, you have to watch that match. If you have not watched it, if you're like kind of picking and choosing what to watch the best of Super Juniors, that is a non-negotiable one. You have to watch it. Almost universal, too. I haven't seen anybody, even if you didn't, quote, love it as much as some people, you're still at like, you know, four minimum. I mean, that is, you got to go out of your way, just heat off the charts, all-time great shingle performance, and all-time great sort of show emerging, his, his coming out party in a lot of ways. I mean, that is a match you have to, have to, have to watch. <coughs> Excuse me. That match is one of those rare, like you said, it's a universal match. I haven't seen anybody say they didn't like it. It's one of those matches that just everybody thinks is 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 awesome. So yeah, that's the that's the that's the must watch match of the tournament. Followed closely by Willow Spray versus Rocky Romero. Oh my God, Willow! I, I just wanted I wanted that was gonna be my next one too because I'm kind of yeah. going over my list oh, of favorite ahead. matches so far. That one's number two, and it's not far off from Shingo and Show. That is, and they had no they were the semi main event. It's Rocky Romero and Will Ospreay, and, and you could argue when we were talking about this on in, in you know the Voice Wrestling Slack chat as well as that you could argue that Will Ospreay should just go out there and beat Rocky Romero in five minutes because it's fucking Rocky Romero. He's an announcer. Who cares? But we know that Will Ospreay takes too much pride in, in, in his work. Maybe to his detriment sometimes. Maybe some people say that. Whatever. But he's a guy who goes in the ring and probably says, what do you want to do? And let's just go out there and let's fucking kill it, man. Let's have yeah. a great match. He wants to have a great match. And some people might not like that, but I know full well that he's walking through the curtain. And Romero's probably like, dude, whatever, man. We can. It could be five minutes, whatever. And, and Will's like, and I, he's going to do it against Eagles, too. That's why we said that Eagles match, you have to circle that, because that is going to be spectacular. Because Will is going to go, Robbie, let's go out there and fucking kill it. And, and, and they don't. Over. Let's and, get you over. And they don't need to. He doesn't need to. He should just go out there and beat guys in five minutes. But that's not what Will Ospreay is. That's never what he's been about and, and wanting him to be that is is probably a uh it's not gonna happen you, you know you're wasting your time with that so he goes out there with rocky romero and has like the hope spot uh, the hopiest hope match that's ever hoped i mean it is i mean he's got caprice coleman screaming and crying he's got kevin kelly going nuts. like the 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 roll-ups in here the near falls the back and forth i mean this is awesome i mean and and like it's one of those things where you know that Rocky's not going to win, but there's times I even knew he wasn't going to win. I knew the result, and there were still pinfalls where I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I read wrong. Maybe Rocky does win this one. Like, they just do an incredible job, awesome back and forth. It just it, it shocks you too because it's a semi main event, and you might not know going in, but man, it is every bit as good as that other one. I went four and a half with it. Uh, or went four and three quarters with, with, with the Shingo show. I think another match that maybe not to the level of a must watch like Shingo and show, but one that if you have the time, you know, fuck it. No, it's a must watch. Watch that goddamn match. Will Ospreay, Rocky Romero from night four. You gotta go. It's just a spectacular performance for both guys. And Rocky really, to me, proved that he can still go in there with the right opponent and in there with the right story as well. Yeah, those are the two best matches, I think, pretty much universally agreed upon. Um, the, the interesting thing about the rest of the tournament is there's, it seems like everyone who's watching it is enjoying it, but people are enjoying different matches it's like there's something for everyone in this tournament which is what we said yeah which we, i love about yeah. this year yeah so you know there's you know uh, it's like 
different people are enjoying different matches and 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 enjoying different guys and it was really set up for that the way we talked about a couple of weeks ago a couple of under the radar matches i wanted to talk about i thought tiger mask versus kanamoru was fucking incredible um especially for its spot on the card in terms of a uh, uh you know uh, kanamoru working over tiger mask knee and um and tiger mask was just, tiger mask always like he always works like the openers and he's never high up on the card in this tournament, but he always delivers for his spot on the card in this right. tournament. I, yep. I love him in this tournament. The last he keeps everything nice and compact, too, because he's that yes. opener. Everything's like eight minutes or nine minutes or whatever. It's perfect for him at this nice point. Nice little story. Career. You know, uh, that match uh, I loved. I thought that match was so much fun. And then there were two other matches. Ren Narita versus Robbie Eagles from, yes. from today's show. Did you, oh, my God. Nice awesome great, great, great. And it was Ren Narita's hometown. So they get behind the Lions anyway, but they're especially behind him in this one. And Eagles is just diabolically taking apart this man's knee. And then he goes for the finisher, the turbo backpack, and Narita uh, hits him off with a backslide. And then from there, Narita goes on, you know, a little mini run. He could have sold the knee a little better. Okay, he could have sold the knee a little better. Uh, You know, so there's minor critiques. It's not like a notebook match or anything, but it's close. It is damn fucking close. Uh, that one I really loved, and uh, Robbie Eagles versus Rocky Romero from night one I thought was a uh, was a was a kind of a sleeper match too. If you're looking for under the radar stuff, yeah, um, well, one that I, I like too. Uh, in, I think in that same day, day two, uh, Taguchi and Yo is, is a match that I really enjoyed a lot more than I thought I would, and, and obviously Show's getting all the headlines, and, and rightfully so because he's you know he's breaking out in a big way. But I think Yo's had a pretty good tournament so far, and that, and that Taguchi Yo match is Taguchi at his best, and I think Yo at his best too. And you see that while Show is the guy that could be the superstar, that there is some value in Yo too. Like the crowd still is invested in Yo, and he might not be you know the top top tier guy. He might not be the star, but he's definitely a guy that can get something out of with him and you see it in that match as well so so i've buried uh duokai very hard behind, <laughs> behind the paywall okay very hard um what do you think of uh Duki? uh Stoki. um i really wanted to give it a chance i really thought okay look it's a different it's a kind of a different look it's a different guy you know it's a, it's a unique approach he's obviously coming in on short notice and He's just not very good, and it, it, it the thing with him is that like I he wouldn't be out of place in like in All Japan Junior or a K Dojo show. Like if I'm watching him on RuTube and my my you know my the the sound only comes through one headphone and it's kind of buzzing the entire time, he'd be fine. You know what I mean? Like that's exactly the type of wrestler he is to me. Where I put it on in the background and I'm watching some fucking why am I watching this? What am I doing? But I gotta watch it because it's you know I I, I want to watch wrestling, so I'm watching yeah K Dojo, he, whatever random ass company you know some some sleazy. Japanese indie that you want to mention uh, is playing on watching on some you know pirated Russian website or whatever, and that's you know that's the life I've chosen, and that he's fine in that. He's fine in those sort of realms, but in New Japan, man, he sticks out like a sore thumb, and, and particularly you know the, the matches that he's having that are going over a certain amount of time. Like we had the Taguchi uh, Doki match from from night four that went what is it twenty minutes or something like that, and and by the end, I will admit it got okay. Taguchi got the crowd into it. Uh, Doki was fine for that point, but the problem is is that he's just he's not good enough for 10 minutes he's not good enough for 20 minutes he doesn't have the skills to kind of carry a match he's, he's fine at coming out he's got a good persona his gear kind of looks like shit he looks shindy as fuck but whatever he but he's got to, like he's okay for like a minute and then it's just like oh what else are you gonna do for the next 10 minutes and a lot of it is just like really bad offense really bad looking kicks just kind of 
terrible dollar store Kanemoro stuff where he's on the outside kind of being a chicken shit, but not very good at it. And then like he gets back in the ring and when the finishing sequence comes, it's usually okay, but it's just like he doesn't Ugh. know what to do during any of the other parts like he's fine for maybe five minutes and everything else after that or before that or during that is just kind of like it's just kind of bad and just sticks out like a sore thumb so it's just he's very out of place in new japan i don't want to say he's out and out bad he's just way in over his head in terms of the, like like you get done watching fucking ren reed and robbie eagles and they're all over the place and going nuts and everything's happening and then you get doki or oh my god the juxtaposition of of rocky romero will osprey having that match getting out of the ring and then doki comes out you know what i mean like it's just yeah, like oh god like what is this guy <laughs> like he's not he's not a major league caliber no and like you I, see that yeah you, you see that and i, I think that they the, the the night four is the biggest juxtaposition where where those guys get out of the ring rocky Romero will ask get out of the ring after having that match and then doki comes out and you're like oh, level. god i and i disagree with every bit of praise that you put on him i don't think he has a good persona i think he's very minor league I think he's shindy looking. His gear looks like shit. He looks like shit. He doesn't have any charisma. The guy has zero charisma. He doesn't pop off the screen. He's not even good at being a sleazy indie guy. There's dozens of sleazy indie guys better than him. He's not even good at what he's... I have nothing against putting a sleazy indie brawler in this tournament, but he's not good at it. Uh, and, and his finishing stretches have not been good. He blew the DDT spot with with uh, with Narita at the end of their match and totally took the steam out of that, which is why I partially why I buried that match so hard. His offense looks like shit. He was in control of the Taguchi match for the first 10 minutes. It was the 10-minute call. It was slightly after the 10-minute call that Taguchi took over on offense. He controlled the first 10 minutes of that match, and he ran out of ideas in five minutes. He isn't good enough... To, to be in control of a match for 10 minutes and he ran out of ideas. He does his chair spot every night, whether it's a tag or a single. And then he does his weak looking strikes, his boring as fuck. Uh, the there's nothing is compelling. The, the control period is really it's bad. Horrendous. It's really, really bad. There's he's boring. He's not compelling. He has no charisma. He looks like shit. He's a shindy guy. And I get that he was on short notice. I understand that. Okay. Uh, but he, he is not a major league caliber wrestler. And if he was full-time new Japan, he'd be a prelim guy. You know, he'd work underneath tags. He'd be the bottom guy in his unit. Um, and all those sorts of things. He's just has not been good. I mean, I cannot, it's blowing. I, I can't believe I've wasted so much time on him behind the paywall, but it's blowing my mind that people like are praising him. Like I can understand if you find him tolerable, I guess, I think he's bad. I, I mean, I think the guy stinks. I really do think he's bad. But if you find him tolerable because, all right, it's a change of pace. Ah, he uses his chair. He's a pro. But to, to say that he's – there's people claiming that he's been pretty good. Like no one's saying he's great. That's not happening. No one's that nuts. But there's people saying that he's been serviceable. He's been, He hasn't been. This guy is clearly sticking out like a sore thumb. Both nights of his singles matches, it's a, it's a great point that you made. When the next match hit the ring, you're like, oh, this is what Major League Caliber wrestlers are like. That guy totally stands out as not being on the level of anyone else in this tournament. Renderita had to wrestle down to that guy, and he's a young lion. I understand he's very good, but he had to wrestle down to this guy's level. And the, the main event with Taguchi, I mean, you know, they, they used a million and one shortcuts. They did two ref bumps. Two different run-ins with Taichi to make that into something watchable. And I gave that three and a quarter because by the end of it, it was fine. 
But you, you know, three and three. That'll be the worst main event of the tour. You, you know, that's the main event of the show, and you have to use a million and one shortcuts, and it's still a barely passable match by the end of it. After you sucked for the first ten minutes of the match. So yeah, I I don't know. I think the guy he's shown me nothing. I mean, I I I don't even see him as a guy who's who's slightly below average. I think he's a bad pro wrestler. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely uh, sticking out with your sore thumb is is kind of what I said. Uh, it, uh, the best way to I think describe him because it's a lot of really good wrestlers out there, and even like even the guys that I don't think are like even a Tiger Mask who who normally on uh, you know three hundred in <laughs> most days oh of the year. Tiger, Tiger Mask, Mask is, is so I mean and, and, and twenty times the wrestler. exactly right, and it's and, not even close. Yeah, it's and, not even close. and even guys like Kanemaru or whatever. And the that's the thing I oh I, my I, god, I don't even insult these guys. <laughs> right. Yoshinobu Kanemaru, with the career that he's had and the work that he's still putting in, I mean, they're not even in the same universe as this guy. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think. Of, he is like you'd have to you'd have to talk about guys like post injury Hanma. That's his league. That is his neighborhood. Modern Hanma, or maybe Yujiro on a bad day because Yujiro on a good day is better than this guy. I've seen Yujiro have good matches. I can't imagine this guy having a good match. I can't fathom it. So you, that's where you got – who else? Like Fale. He's Fale level. Like, you know, Fale this year, like the match he had with Nichols. Right, that yeah. Fale. I'm trying to go through past best of the Super Juniors to see if I can uh, pick out a guy that was so obviously uh, stuck out. But they've done a pretty good job of picking guys for, for many, many years. So, uh, yeah, I'm having trouble finding guys that uh, uh, didn't – No, yeah, he, didn't he really, would yeah, argue – I don't know if he'd be the worst guy. Would he be the worst guy on the roster? I mean, you got Yujiro, you got Hanma, um, Fale. Um, Makabe on most times when he doesn't try, but sometimes I, when he, he yeah, can I try mean, and I, be good. I, yeah. Honestly, I think Makabe is much better. Yeah, I, no, I agree. I, I agree. I'm just coming up with any guy that I think is at least um, in contention. Yeah, I'm trying to think who else. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone else is like substantially better, uh, but. Um, I don't know. I, I I promised behind the paywall I'm going to stop talking. About yeah, him. at this point, there's no point in, in really talking about him much it's, anymore because it's he is what he is. I mean, if if you if you don't think he stinks at this point, I then I guess I can't convince you. I mean, <laughs> if you think these matches are good, then knock yourself out. I think this guy is, um, you know, it, it's. I don't want to say I don't think he's like offensively bad. I mean, he's not like the worst wrestler in the world, um, but. I mean, he's definitely like lower third. I, 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 I really think he's pretty bad. So I don't know. Uh, as far as uh, what's coming up in a bit, I'm I'm pretty excited to see some of the matches coming up. I know there's some uh, some good matchups coming up in the in the next few weeks and whatnot. And 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 overall, like you said, best of the super juniors wise. I'm thumbs up so far. I've really enjoyed it. I think very, you know, you've had your your really good matches, but I think everything but Doki has been pretty all right. Ish, I mean, Ishimori Scroll. We have to talk, and I, that's I was gonna say, but we have to talk about Ishimori Scroll because that is a, a match with two wrestlers that I do enjoy. That was perhaps the worst match I've seen in New Japan in in in, in a long time. This is. And it might be one of those victims of expectations ones, or one of those matches that there probably have been worse matches. But we always talk about with worst match of the year. You can get two horrible wrestlers in the ring and they have a bad match, and you're like, yeah, whatever, they had a bad match. But when it's two good wrestlers or two, you know, competent pro wrestlers and they go out there and have a shitty match, it sticks out a little bit more. It is more obvious that that was a bad match. You know, we, we talk about it all the time. And when it's 25 minutes long. Right. 
this match with two <laughs> semi-confident wrestlers was it was boring it was sloppy the crowd couldn't possibly give a shit i don't know what the hell the story of the match was and Old it spot. never ended this match went 57 minutes joe <laughs> 50, yeah, yeah. I counted yeah. it with a stopwatch. You claim what did you claim? You said 27. You're wrong. It was 57 minutes. Yeah. I had the stopwatch. And what what was this? What what the hell was this match? They were like two guys who just could not work with each other. It was awful. And we find out there's some heat from 2006. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. Um, but this was just bad and long and boring and awful. Um, as far as worst match of the year in New Japan, it's a it's I mean, what about what about uh Foley versus Nichols? What about Foley versus Nichols? Ooh, that is a good contest. I think but again, like I kind of expected that one to suck. I didn't expect this one. It's always one of those things where like the way you come into a match and the, what you're sort of expecting that will like maybe not worst match I've seen this year from New Japan, but most let down I've been on a match. Is that a fair thing to say? Because this had no right to be as awful as it was. No, it had a really good 20-second closing stretch. <laughs> the other 56 minutes were horrible, but that 20, you're right. The 20 seconds at the end were fine, but everything else before that was horrendous. Duki Narita. What about Duki Narita? Uh, spot at the end. It wasn't good, but man, it's girl match sucks so much. Yeah, it's the 25 minutes that gets you. It's, it and it scary. feels. I know it's 25 minutes. I'm joking about the 57. That is the, most, that is the longest 25 minutes of my entire life. I was kind of live talking about it on the Slack, and I'm like, I cannot believe this is still going on. And there was a point where I was already way over this match and ready for it to go home, and they just called 20 minutes. And I was like, what? It's only been 20? And then they do a tombstone, and they fucking botch it, and he's in the row. It's like, what are you guys? I've, I've never seen... It's just, yeah, it is the most... the Definitely the most boring match I've seen all year in New Japan. It's just like, what are we doing? What's going on with this? So boring. Yeah, it, it, it was... Uh, horrendous match. It, it's almost like some people said, "Hey, should I watch it?" And I'm like, "You kind of almost have to watch it, though." You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to recommend people watch it because it's awful, but it's 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 almost so weird and so awful that it. I almost recommend. You know, I, no, I, I, can't, I can't in good Yeah, no, sorry, I take it back. Yeah, I can't in good conscience. It's way too long. It. I can't tell anyone to sit through that. I can't. I can't do it. I I can't. It's 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 really a pointless match to watch. I don't even think it's fun bad. It's not really fun bad either. It's just boring as shit. Yeah, your eyes are going to gloss over and you're just going to go, what the hell? They blow that that tombstone spot and both of them just kind of freeze and don't know what to do for like what felt like an eternity but was probably like eight seconds. But it was eight seconds that felt like eight minutes because that was clearly a key transition spot in the match. And when they blew the spot, they were both like, oh, fuck, what do we do? Because now we got to get to this transition and – we, do we redo the spot? And, and Ishimori's just on the mat. Skrull's just standing there. <laughs> and it's, oh my God, it's so bad. It, it, yeah, really, really. Uh, and it didn't help. That crowd sucked and they did nothing to get the crowd even uh, partially excited. I mean, you no. you hear popcorn falling on the ground. You hear individual coughs. You hear toilets flushing. It is silent in there. Horrendous <laughs> crowd. You can hear the guys calling spots too because it is so so quiet in that arena and and yeah it was a bad crowd made worse by a horrendous match so uh yeah definitely uh I, yeah i guess i can't in good conscience recommend that one but otherwise other than that i don't think anything's been like you know what i would call no, like offensively awful yeah. yeah no no everything's been easy to watch and a lot of good stuff depending on your taste um so yeah i mean you know it's been a it's been i i'm not feeling any kind of grind yet at all i'm looking forward to the shows i think the day off came at a perfect time 
Um, and then there's two straight shows, and then there's like two or three days off before the three straight Corkins with the ten matches each. And those Corkins, I think, are going to be fire just based on yeah, they, they how the tournament is setting up and some of the stories that they're telling. Some of the matches that are lined up. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think I'm not looking forward to them because there's a lot. It's fun to kind of watch like four matches and get out. I enjoy that yeah, aspect yeah. of early best of the Super Juniors, but they're going to be great shows. It's just like you got to well, sit gotta down now. For... You got to watch 30 matches in three days. It's a lot. Exactly. <laughs> right, right, right. If you're, if you're a completist, and at this point, I've watched everything, so I may as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it's always kind of interesting there. But uh, let's get to our final two topics of the day. We're going to go to WWE land here. I'll we'll start out with Bret Hart and Tom McGee. We, uh, as I mentioned, at patreon.com slash voice of wrestling, I did a uh, brief review of the Holy Grail documentary uh the WWE released on monday as well as my reaction to uh bret hart versus tom mcgee you and i have not talked about it yet but uh you have seen it i have seen it i'll start off first with the documentary what do you think of the documentary portion of uh of this, the hart mcgee thing the holy grail with uh Cassius Ono and tyson kidd and sam roberts and harry smith and, and of course bret hart and then tom mcgee himself which i thought was pretty awesome uh, as well what do you think of the quick little 20 minute documentary they put together it was a cool little doc you know, it wasn't super comprehensive. Um, I think they did a pretty good job avoiding totally burying Tom McGee. Yes. I think they did a good job at that. The closest they came was X-Pac or Sean Waltman, whatever you want to call him, saying, hey, I think this guy could have been pretty good if they gave him more opportunities against better wrestlers, which was kind of implying that he was bad, but saying that, hey, I think he could have been good. When really the true story of Tom McGee is that he was horrible. But they didn't say that. And they didn't harp on that at all. And they really, if you knew nothing about Tom McGee and you just watched that blind, and I'm, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to make TLB watch that. It's like 20 minutes. Make the nurse watch it. She knows nothing about it, right? Right, right. Uh, let's, let's, make, let's make the women watch it, right? And we'll see how they come away thinking of Tom McGee. Because my impression is they didn't bury the guy. And if you were someone who knew nothing about him, at the end of that, you would think, "Oh man, they, you know, this guy missed his opportunity to become a big star," and you really wouldn't know why, you know, because they didn't get into this guy fucking sucked, and this was a miracle match that Bret Hart pulled out of him. They just kind of danced around that, and uh, they did get Tom McGee to sit in front of the camera. What a nice, unassuming man he came off as. Oh, he was great. I think the and, my favorite part of the entire documentary was him sitting down. And him, I, I had always, I wasn't sure, and, and I mentioned this in my review on Patreon, I wasn't sure what his frame of mind was with this, because we always heard that he didn't really want to get involved with wrestling, he didn't want to talk about it. Whenever I hear that, I assume bitter guy that feels like he was wronged. You, you know what I mean? Like, I always kind of assume, because most wrestlers are that way. You talk to any old wrestler about anything, and they're probably bitter about something. Yeah, I should have won that match. Or, yeah, that promoter fucked me. Or, yeah, I should have had that spot. Or, I was better than that guy. Like, that's every wrestler thinks that they should have all main evented WrestleMania and should have been the greatest ever and, and all that sort of stuff. And that's not to say that Tommy Gee maybe didn't feel that way in 1994 or whatever, but I like that he sat down and just kind of said, life has its ups, life has its downs. Yeah, I had some ups, and I had some downs, and it's fine. And I was like, oh, that's like the most refreshing. I've never heard an ex-wrestler just be like, yeah, it is what it is. And I like, too, he, he mentioned, and there was a few little things that I, I, I noted in there. Like he said, oh, yeah, if you look at Brett's uniform, and I thought that was the use of the word uniform was really interesting because he didn't even know, like, wrestler jargon. You know what I mean? He had been out of that business so long, and it hadn't become such a substantial part of his life that he wasn't a normal member of society, which happens with a lot of wrestlers. Like, wrestlers get caught in the wrestler bubble, and they just can't operate as, as normal human beings. To him, it was a uniform, not, you know, his gear. 
if you look at his tights, yeah. he just said uniform. <laughs> and like, I found that kind of endearing. Yeah, I, I found that endearing because I'm like, yeah, this guy doesn't know wrestling jargon even. It's like right. so out of fright, out of sight, out of mind. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, like that. Like, if you walk to an indie show and, and you were in backstage and said, hey, yeah, nice uniform, they'd probably beat the fuck out of you and kick you out. You're like, that's ah, not a uniform. It's my gear. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because they're so weird about that. But like, this guy's out of sight, out of mind with wrestling. And I just like that he was, he was content with where his life went. And he said, yep, it was good and it was bad. And then I left. So it's like, just a guy who had a job and he left the job because it just didn't work for him. Yep. Not like a guy who was bitter or emboldened or, oh, they fucked me over. Or, oh, Vince McMahon never saw this in me and yada, yada, yada. I, I, I enjoyed that. I liked that it was that. And maybe it was, again, like I said, maybe it was the year gap, the years gap that were, you know, 1993, maybe he was bitter. But I like that. He just sat down and was just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't refer to Stu Hart's training as the dungeon like all the wrestlers do. You know, you're right. They call it the hill. What do you call it? Whatever the hill is. I don't even like, yeah, I was in Calgary with the, 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 the hill. And I was like, what? Like, right. You know, he didn't romanticize any of it. He's just like this. Okay, we're going to sit down and talk about this part of my life that I haven't even thought about probably for 20 years. The guy probably hadn't even thought about it, you know. Um, so he came off uh, very well. Um, how about that Harry Smith impression of his? Oh uncle? my God! I tweeted out immediately. I was halfway through the doc. I paused it and, and and said, "I have to tweet out about this." The far and away the greatest Bret Hart impression I have ever heard. Maybe one of the better impressions. I spot on, spot on. The so Harry good. Smith Bret Hart impression was unbelievable. Oh my God! And I saw somebody say that. Thank God. I think it was a uh, post wrestling. We're talking about this. They said that. Thank God. Harry Smith never did that impression again in, in front of Vince McMahon or else oh, <laughs> Davey oh, Boy Smith Jr. would have been Bret Hart Jr. and would have just came out and cut from like, thank God he didn't find hey, out he about might, that. He might, he might still have a job. That's he true. Might still- <laughs> You're right. <laughs> he might. But it was good. Like the raspiness, even yeah. like the tone, even the way he, that Bret would say something. And it makes sense that Harry would get it. But impressions are difficult. And man, he was spot on. I, I popped big for that. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That was perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was so good, but um, but yeah, you know, I think they got the right people. Cassius Ono is a perfect guy to get. He's a tape nerd, and um, you know, and 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 Tyson uh, Smith, I, um, uh, what Tyson Kid? Tyson Kid, yeah. Um, he's not only if you know a, a a pseudo family member. I mean, I guess he is now since he's married in, but um, was always considered a family member anyway. But also another tape nerd. So you know, and and Sam Roberts a tape nerd from the tape trading days and everything. So they got the right people and it was a short little 20 minute deal and it, it set the stage and they were nice to Tom McGee. You know, they didn't have to, you know, it's like you, you, everyone remembers the ultimate warrior DVD where they were not nice to the ultimate. (laughs) No, that's one way to put it. Okay. So it's like they they didn't, it could have, it would have been very easy not to be nice to Tom McGee, but they really skirted and danced around the idea that he was, you know, one of the worst major league professional wrestlers of all time. A guy who was super athletically gifted, looked like a million bucks, but just did not have the instincts or the acumen for this whatsoever. So, decent, decent little doc. I can't call it great or anything, but it, it got the job done. Yeah, I think it was it, in its simplicity. I think it was it was good, and it was Giancarlo trying to be hard hitting, right? You know, right, right. Trying to be that, and it didn't need to be that. So, I hope they have more of these. I, I like this idea. Just, just basically, just Cassie Sono. That's his new job. Is just he sits in the back. And they say, hey, what about this match? And he talks about it. Because I think they'd be fine with it. Like, I'd be perfectly fine with tape nerd, Cassius Ono, just going back there and talking about matches that are cool and and, and doing that. But I did want to say, Giancarlo was the guy who uh, directed and produced this. 
and he's the guy that was famous for doing the spring break stuff with Joey Janela and obviously got hired by WWE. Okay. So uh, you can see his fingerprints on this too because it was very simple. It wasn't overdone. It wasn't like and like he talked to the right guys. I think like I don't know that a normal WWE production guy would have said, you know what? Who I need? I need Cassius Ono, Tyson Kidd, and Sean Walton to talk no, about. You this, know what right? they would have done? They would have talked to Brooklyn Brawler and Miz. Right, the Miz would have been like, oh yeah, Top of Gears, great. Yeah, all over all those things, the Brooklyn Brawler and Miz. Uh, right. They put on everything. And, and now Bruce Pritchard, since he's back in the fold, you could have brought him in there too to, to talk about yeah. it. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That's that's the guy that would have been. So so Giancarlo getting his hands on it and being the guy to do it, I think it it, it showed through. And, and I hope they do this with more. I think adding context to the Hidden Gems section would be great uh, for the next step of WWE. Not that you need to do 20-minute documentaries about every fucking drop you do, but I think some certain things would be good. Because a lot of times that Hidden Gems, we talk about it on on uh, on Twitter a lot. I mean, that is an awesome section of the of WWE Network, but like shit's just on there and you don't know how and you don't know why and you can't really find it either. Unless you know what you're looking for, it's very difficult to say. Very oh, hard to find. Like I had, I told a guy at work who, who grew up in Houston and was a huge you know wrestling fan. Then I told him, hey, there's a bunch of Mid-South stuff on, on you know the network if you want to check it out. And he got back to me the next day. He goes, how the fuck do I find it? And I was like, ah, dude, like, sorry. Like you go to shows, you go to Hidden Gems, you sort by date, then you sort by Mid-South. Like I get it. Like it's, and he's like, well, I'm on Roku. And I'm like, well, fucking forget it then on Roku. You're never going to find it so um yeah the, the hidden gem section is a disaster so stuff like this i think would, would, would certainly help that uh section a lot but the match itself i mean i don't know that we need to get into excruciating detail about it. a lot of people will uh this week and there's not much detail to get into but uh what were your thoughts and obviously coming with with pretty crazy expectations and i think they kind of met the expectations that you and i had where we said hey whoa, whoa, whoa reel it in in terms of it being this great all-time match but look at it versus other Tom McGee matches. Look at it versus Tom McGee and Ted DiBiase. Look at it versus Tom McGee and Arn Anderson. Look at it specifically Tom McGee versus everything he did in Japan, which is absolutely the dirt worst shit possible. Yeah. Look at it under that lens, and then I think you'll come away you know, enjoying it a lot more. If you lo- if you watch it under the lens of, this is one of the great, greatest matches ever, it's not that whatsoever. It's a good little TV match, probably two and a half stars, you know what I mean, in terms of that. But you look at it versus what Tom McGee was doing otherwise, and you see how why it got the rep it got. I thought it was a really good TV match for its time. Um, I think that I w- it bothered me that it was joined in progress. I, I don't know if that was a production decision or if the tape is joined in progress. I don't yeah, know I don't because if you look and I don't know if they add this later, but you can see the play button play as it starts. So I wonder if it was the original tape has that. So I, again, I don't know. Here's the thing, though. I'm almost positive that the match aired in Europe, including post-match interviews. Which is, you know, it had commentary on it. Right. Which tells me that, well, it's possible that it did air in Europe, but the only, but the tape, but Mary Kate's tape was joined. It's possible her tape was joined in progress, and that's the tape they have. So I guess it does kind of make sense. Um, if they joined it in progress on purpose, I have a problem with that. Show us the introductions, show us the whole match. Now, there was speculation that Mel Phillips was the ring announcer, and maybe they wanted to cut him out. But that's bullshit. I just all over the network. I just watched literally the match before I watched that match was the Meadowlands Legends Battle Royal that Luthez won, um, where they brought all the legends in, and Mel Phillips was the ring announcer. And not only was he the ring announcer, he did long resume introductions for, for all <laughs> right. guys in the Battle Royal with the camera on him. So it like it, that wasn't the reason. So that kind of bothered me. The match, I mean, in terms of other Tom McGee matches, yeah, this one hit his flaws for sure. You can clearly see why this match had the reputation it had inside the company when people saw it. Because, uh, and, and, you know, Bret Hart laid it out in the dock. He said, look, he said, give me your three best spots and just listen to me and do everything I say inside the ring. 
So Bret Hart laid out the match. He worked in all three of Tom McGee's three best spots. And, uh, and, and the one thing that was missing from this are Tom McGee's awful spin kicks and karate. <laughs> jobs. Yeah. And all, and they did, there was none of that, which I think helped a lot because he was like, just to do all this karate shit and jumping spin kicks and none of it looked good. He just, again, he had no instincts and no feel for wrestling. So what Brett did was he just carefully plotted out those three big spots that the guy was confident doing. And they ended up putting together a nice little TV match. I think for its time, it'd be above three stars for its time. But no one ever touted it as a great match. Even for its time, it wasn't touted as a great match. It was touted as a great carry job. Right. So that's what people have to understand when they're watching it. And, and I think one thing, too, and I mentioned that we can we can kind of move on because, again, there's not a ton to go into. But if you want, I, I go in a little bit more detail uh, on the Patreon side. But um, one thing that I did sort of note is that, yes, all-time great carry job by Bret Hart. Absolutely. 100%. Him sort of harnessing all that Tom McGee could do and getting the best out of him is one thing, too. But we are talking a lot differently about that if Tom McGee blows the backflip. You know what I mean? If he does that little springboard over the top and falls on his face, then this isn't an all-time carry job. This is Tom McGee sucked again. And I yeah. and and that's something I think's lost from this a little bit. Yes, Tom McGee sucked, <laughs> and 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 yes, the, the the rep around him is that he just was absolutely a fucking piece of shit, or not, just an awful wrestler. Couldn't do anything. Had no instincts and all that sort of stuff. But on this night against Bret Hart in a match where Bret Hart harnessed all of his powers, Tom McGee nailed everything he had to nail too. Yes, it was hit me with an arm drag and do a backflip. Yes, that's all he needed to do. But watch some of those other Tom McGee matches. There's a lot. There's sometimes we can't even do that. Right. But he did that in this match. So I think that's one thing that I think I, I, I'm going to give some credit to Sam McGee because he could that's he fair. nailed everything he needed to nail in that match, too. So, yes, all-time carry job, all-time great structure of a match by Bret Hart. But credit to Tom McGee, too, because he could have just as easily f- fell down on the cartwheel and then nobody ever talks about Tom McGee ever again and he's never there and, and we don't talk about Bret Hart carrying him. You, you know what I mean? Like, it was right. important that he nailed all of his things that he needed to nail. The problem is that he couldn't do anything else. So <laughs> it is an all-time carry job, but but I do want to give a little credit to, to, to McGee as well because he did. He had an all-time great performance too in his career. Oh, yeah, yeah, which is crazy. But um, what, what people under a certain age need to understand too is you're kind of numb to it now, but nobody was doing backflips off the turnbuckle. No, you can hear. It's in 1986. He does the Capartier yeah. thing, which if you were really deep into yes. like, you know, French catch wrestling, you might have saw, but he does the thing, you know, the springboard, you know, flip over Brett, you know, who's running into the ropes. Gorilla and Bobby lose their fucking mind. Gorilla yeah. goes, oh my God, I've never seen any. Even Bobby, who, who was great at being the heel announcer, but then could also pot for big moments uh, for faces, does it too. And you hear the crowd just, lo- they're, they're, they're muttering to each other. They're, 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 there's like a buzz after he does it. Like, oh my God, this, this man that was 6'7 and 270 pounds just did a flip. What yeah. the fuck? Like we're numb to it now because Ricochet does 19 things more impressive in, in in a in a match on the first hour of Raw, but at this time 1986 on TV and in that company, I right. mean it's mind blowing. Yeah, and you know the Daniel Bryan turnbuckle flip that was one of his spots he did in every match, and that stuff just wasn't done, you know, and especially like you're saying in front of those fans. Um so and this and I think it, 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 the reason being this was a guy who wasn't a wrestling fan and didn't come into it as a wrestling fan. So he was, he had nothing to go off of. A lot of people who become wrestlers who are wrestling fans just do the stuff that they see. He didn't see anything. So he, he incorporated flips and shit into his wrestling because he wasn't a fan and he didn't know that people, he probably didn't realize people weren't doing stuff like that. He just did shit that he thought was cool. So yeah, I, I don't know. There really isn't a ton more to add. I mean, I think it, 
it lived up from the perspective of it did come off as a very good carry job by Bret Hart. I think Rich is corralling those dogs that were going nuts. I think that's what happened there. So I'm just going to kill the dead air here. And I am going to uh, strongly suggest that you seek out the Ted DiBiase, Arn Anderson, and Tim Horner matches. I did watch those matches before I watched the Hart match. And I think it does add the proper perspective to the Hart match. Um, so you can judge how Hart worked with McGee as opposed to those other guys. That's the same advice we gave you last week. But uh, when Rich does get back to the show, we're going to wrap things up with a preview of uh, Money in the Bank, which I know Rich is very excited to talk about as he continues to corral the dogs. And then uh, we're going to wrap this up for the week and my uh, five hours of audio for the day as we patiently twiddle I, our I had a dog. I had there a dog emergency. Is. I had a dog yes. emergency. I don't know if you could kind of hear it. I thought it was he something. Heard. Yeah, I was. I, I tried. The, yeah, it was just rabbits and a dog shitting in our in our yard. So, you know. Money in the bank, Rich. <laughs> Money in the I've bank. Set it up. <sighs> What'd you say? I awkwardly killed time as you were uh, hopefully not scraping up a dead dog from the ground because it sounded like they were in a fight there. So. No, I don't know. They, they were very upset about something that was going on in the front lawn, and it turned out to be a double. There was a rabbit, and then there was another dog in our front lawn. I don't know how they, oh, sitting God. in the room with me, heard that dog over there, but there was a dog in the middle of the lawn taking a shit, so they obviously, that's my lawn. What the fuck? So, you know, just, just absolute madness. But You know what's weird? I can do two, three hours of audio by myself. As soon as I realize you're not on the mic, I panic. <laughs> I, and, I, and I do... I do the worst 40 seconds of audio on the face of the planet. I, I don't know why. Why can I do it by myself? But if I realize no one's on the other end of the mic, I choke. I don't get that. Money in the Bank 2019, Joe. I'll run down the card here uh, for you real quick. Uh, you have a men's Money in the Bank ladder match for a championship opportunity. Somebody will become Mr. Money in the Bank, Joe. It's Ali, Andrade, Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, Finn Balor, Randy Orton, Ricochet, and Sami Zayn. You also have a women's Money in the Bank ladder match because somebody will get a championship oh, opportunity. Oh, oh, oh. You're really blowing through this here. What's going on? We didn't even talk about the <laughs> – what are you doing? You're just blowing through? Somebody will become Mrs. Money in the Bank. Rich, give me your takes on the uh, men's Money in the Bank. Who do you uh, like in that? Okay, here, here's who do you who do you fancy in the men's Money in the Bank? In yes, I realized fancy? when I was putting together the notes for the show and putting together the notes for for our preview up on the website and reading through this card and, and doing my research and watching stuff on YouTube and trying to catch up a little bit that they have they have officially gotten to the point where Joe, I have zero takes on Money in the Bank 2019. I couldn't possibly care less about any of these matches happening. Nothing makes me excited to watch this show. I can't even criticize it. It's they've they've done it. <laughs> I think they've really, really done it to me. I, I I have I I don't have good takes. I don't have bad takes. I have no takes on Money in the Bank 2019. So you're gonna have to carry this, man. I got nothing. I noticed there's Who a cares? <laughs> Who cares I, about the winner of this? <laughs> I noticed there's a page break in our notes. I didn't realize there were 19 matches on our show. <laughs> That's what I mean. I'm reading through these. Holy and shit. I'm like, what? And there's like, they could get like eight pay-per-views out of this show. They're going to do it all in one night. I don't know why. But even, even like this, this is a super show. This is great. The card is fantastic. I don't is care. I, I, I think, I don't know. Is it? I don't know. I'm asking you. I, of- well, men's money in the bank is always fun. I think, I mean, Baron Corbin will probably win, which is disturbing. 
Um, but he's already in a program for the world title, right? I mean, they, they continue to push this guy, even though they mocked the idea that <laughs> the reading is for Because I don't know. Um, <sighs> women's Money in the Bank, Rich, you've got question marks there, but it's... Uh, Yes, it's, as uh, of this has been changed, so it's it's Nikki Cross has replaced uh, Alexa yes. Bliss. Uh, someone someone's gonna become Miss Money in the Bank. That fits so. the storyline, though. Nikki Cross. It does. That makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. You got Nikki Cross, Bailey, Carmella, Dana Brooke, Ember Moon, Mandy Rose, Naomi, and Natalia. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, and it, and it really doesn't matter, really. I mean, that I mean, match, Joe, the names there's a lot of in a in a ladder match. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they'll be out to impress, but I, I, you know, it's like Dana Brooke, Mandy Rose, people just talk up Mandy Rose. Rich, do you see anything in Mandy Rose? No, she is a, uh, a very attractive woman, but that is, that is about all I get out of her. Um, in terms of wrestling I in ring, yeah. I, I don't see anything, man. I, I, I yeah, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I, I've just, yeah, I've never quite gotten exactly what people She's Carmella. got a great look. Like she's got a good look. Like she comes she out does. with a lot of presence. Like she's got charisma. She's got all that sort of stuff. But then the bell rings, and you're just like, "All right, well, yeah." <laughs> that's a, that's I, yeah, I've that, never so. been impressed. Carmella stinks. Uh, Natalia is overrated, but everyone else is pretty good. I mean, Nikki Cross is going to do well in that match. Um, Bailey is solid. Ember Moon is going to be out to impress. Naomi can do good in that kind of environment. So, I mean, about half the field's pretty okay. good. I guess you're, I guess you're selling me on this a little bit then. All right. You know, I mean, it, it, it has a chance. There's no question it has a chance to be bad. Like, the men's match has no chance of being bad. Right? It's like, at minimum, it's going to be a fun spectacle. But it's like, the women's match, if everything went wrong, it, yeah, there's there's a lot of chances for things to go. You worry about that match. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a potential disaster there. Um, yeah. All right, so we'll go to the pre-show. Pre-show. Yes, pre-show. Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan, or sorry, just Rowan. Sorry, he's just Rowan. Rowan. Uh, the intellectual spirit, Rowan, uh, versus the Usos. Jimmy and Jay, that is on the pre-show. Daniel Bryan and Rowan versus the Usos. Yeah, Daniel Bryan and Rowan, they 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 fought through that rigorous SmackDown tag team tournament to um, to take those titles. Um, but it is not a title match, I should state. No, and they were handed the titles. So they didn't even bother <laughs> with a tournament of any type or a match. At least make up make up a um, real tournament. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty weird pre-show match, isn't it? Very strange. Uh, yeah, very very strange. I, and I heard uh, Dave on, on Observer Radio talked about it that uh, Daniel Bryan at this point, like when they kind of put everything together, he was still hurt, and they weren't sure he was going to wrestle at all. So just yeah. give him the fucking night off. Like, you know what I mean? like, he doesn't need <laughs> yeah. to be like just say, all right, Daniel, that's fine, man. You're good. We didn't have the plans for you. Take the night off, but we gotta have in the pre-show hurting his neck or whatever. And again, so they're safe company though. Um, Tony Nice so and Arya. No, fuck, listen, I, I know you're on top of the Tony Nice Arya Davari feud. I know you uh, saw Tony Nice defeat Legero this week. God, no, and that, no, Arya, that wasn't a match. That was a match. Oh, that was a match, my friend. Uh, and Arya Davari coming from the crowd to deliver his hammerlock uh, DT on every and they they delivered Rich. They delivered my favorite stock WWE line when Davari laid out Tony Nese at the end of 205 Live. Are you ready for the Tom Phillips? Not yeah. Tom. Not, it wasn't Fuckface Phillips. It was Vic Joseph. <laughs> Fuckface Phillips. Are you ready for the Vic Joseph line? I am, yeah. If Aria Davari hits that on Sunday, we're going to have a new <laughs> yes. WWE Cruiserweight. How many times over the years have we heard that line? Oh, uh, God. 
when a heel does something to a baby face. And of course, Arya Davari walking backwards up the ramp with the shit-eating grin on his face. <laughs> How many times can they repeat the same fucking angle and the same commentary line? How many times, really? Have they done that a hundred times over? Oh, I, I would say that's low. I, I would say. I mean, they're, you're talking, I mean, God, you're talking 12 pay-per-views a year, multiple builds. I would say that's been done. Uh, probably 500 times conservatively. <laughs> we got Becky two belts, Rich. Becky two are you belts. Into, yeah. are you into the Becky two belts. Uh, no, nobody else really is either. They have, no, uh, no, they have no put some cold yeah, water yeah. on that thing right there. But uh, yeah, she's defending the Raw women's title against Lacey Evans and also the SmackDown women's title against Charlotte Flair. So we get two Becky Lynch matches in one night. I think we get the ninth straight Becky Lynch Charlotte Flair uh, pay per view match. Uh, and Lacey Evans gets her huge championship opportunity that we've all been clamoring for. So I want Lacey Evans to win. You just want to watch the world burn? She winds people up, and I like that. People are so dumb when it comes to Lacey Evans. And, <laughs> and I like you. I know. I like, I like, I like making people. sandwiches, and it's like surface-level bullshit. No, too, she's, she's a fascist. <laughs> right. I make sandwiches. She's, she's and, really and a Nazi. Hus- and, yeah, right. I rub my husband's back and make him a sandwich. Fuck you. <laughs> Fucking idiots. I hope she wins and holds the title for five years. Um, heel, wrestling's fake, but yeah. 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 Um, and, and then Charlotte. Uh, Who could possibly care about Charlotte and Becky again? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Not I, Joe. Not I. U.S. title match. Get to it. U.S. title match. Samoa Joe versus Rey Mysterio. If you remember, these men had a 10-second match at WrestleMania. What do you think of the... Uh... <laughs> Is that the cell job? Oh, I'm just saying. I'm giving you the You're story. Right. Samoa Joe beat the fuck out of Rey Mysterio and put him in the rear view. And now he's trying to steal his son. Or yeah. yeah. You know, so yeah. Samoa Joe's know. a weird dude, man. I don't know what Vince has gotten in his mind about Samoa Joe, but he's trying to fuck, Seriously. you know, he's fucking people's wives. He's stealing Home invader. kids. Like, what Home what invader, does he think yeah. Samoa Joe is? Like, what does he think Samoa Joe is? Yeah. I don't know. I think maybe the only footage he ever saw of Samoa Joe is when he got kidnapped by the ninjas with the face tattoo and then went turned heel coming right, out of right. the Okato, band Yeah, Okato was involved in that, yeah. Yeah, so I think maybe that's his only impression. So he thinks he's just a psychopath <laughs> or something. But yeah, it is bizarre. Um, Roman Reigns versus Elias as Roman Reigns continues to do important things on the roster. Yep. Elias is actually over, though. I mean, we can well, say that. was. Now he's kind of a, a, a McMahon mouthpiece thing, and that's, I don't know if that's long-term going to really work all that well. But. I still think he's kind of, he, he still gets heat. He does. He makes fun of the local sports team before he sings his song. I, I like and, good old uh, classic local sports team heat, though. So I I'll love never, it. Yeah, yeah, people always are like, ah, that's, that's bold. That's just, I love it. I like, like, eh, just like your Celtics. And I'm like, oh, boo. <laughs> I love that shit. I right. never get tired of it. I don't care if it's considered cheap heat. I think it's funny. Um, especially, like, you're naming a high-profile team. I like when it's like, and I'm going to beat John Cena like your Columbus Blue Jackets. Guy. <laughs> I was about to say Columbus Blue Jackets. I, I well, love Come on. That's I, that the was the perfect one. Party. Yeah, I was about yeah, to just say, know. or the Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just yeah. like your Hurricanes yeah. couldn't get it done. And then, like, you know, a quarter of the crowd's like, oh, yeah, we really care that much about the Hurricanes, <laughs> I guess. I was about to bring Columbus Blue Jackets because, like, when you're in Columbus, Ohio, you can't bring up Ohio State because they've probably been pretty good or, or Vince doesn't really know or care or whatever. But, and you got to get at professional sports team because that's, you know, you know like there might be some people in Columbus who, you know, didn't go to Ohio. But, like, if you get the Blue Jack, yeah, you guys lost in the Stanley Cup Finals or whatever. It's, it's yeah, that's a, it's always a good the, one. Well, I watched the 2015 pay-per-view and Big E when the New Day were heels. That was in Columbus, and Ohio State had just gone on probation, so he went after him. <laughs> yeah. 
But I popped for that. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you, Jim Trestle. Yeah, Yeah, I think that shit's funny. I like the local sports team heat. I will never be tired of it. Uh, Kofi Kingston defends the title, WWE title, against Kevin Owens. Um, That could be good, right? Yeah. Good little match. Uh, Unrelated, uh, SmackDown had its uh, lowest uh, number ever on on Tuesday. So. Uh... Unrelated. Yeah. No, yeah. I went it up a little. SmackDown. No, SmackDown. Raw was up a little. SmackDown Raw got obliterated by uh, by by the Warriors game. Oh, the draft lottery. I didn't see that number come in. It was the worst number of all time. Uh, let me let me get the exact wording that I can. Uh, I don't want to. But it yeah, was bad. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a bad 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 number here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, so the May fourteenth episode of WWE SmackDown on the USA Network drew a 1.38 rating with a record low viewership of 1.827 million below the two weeks ago previous low of 1.833. Uh, the rating is below a year ago of 1.6 and two years ago of 1.5. So yeah, the Golden State Warriors, Portland Trailblazers, that had 7.3 million viewers. So people reattached uh, their cords to watch that game on TNT. Uh, nearly quadrupled the SmackDown viewership. So uh, SmackDown dropped to number six in the nightly cable ratings among 18 to 43 or 49 rather uh, behind the NBA draft lottery ESPN sports center, another ESPN NBA show, uh, the NHL conference finals, as well as, uh, or the Boston Bruins and Carolina Panthers uh, were in the NHL conference finals. So yeah, the, the game, uh, the draft lottery sports center, and then the ESPN NBA wrap up show all uh, beat that one. So draft lottery did almost 5 million viewers. Yeah, right? <laughs> I was one of them. So that's for sure. No one, everyone watches streams now though. Nobody watches. Right. Streams. Yeah. Everyone cut their cords. So. <laughs> everyone cut their cord. Everybody watches streams. And no one they reattach. They reattach it for the big stuff, though. You know, what I mean? Warriors B balls on. You're going to reattach the cord. You know, it is. People don't trust their internet when there's a big event, so they call their cable company and resubscribe, and then they cancel the next day and go back to everybody. Of watching yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah. Yes. I, I just got off the phone. That's that's actually why I was I was muted for a little bit there as I was I was telling them. I correct. Watched. Well, I guess. Oh, today's a good day too. I should keep it for the next few weeks, but. Everyone specifically watches only Netflix after that, and and <laughs> okay. but then you know the big events they they. They hire, they, you know, they reattach those cords. And then we've got uh, Seth Rollins, who likes to burn it down. <laughs> and he defends. My dogs did not like that. Never do that again, please. <laughs> against AJ Styles. What, are your, what well, do your dogs think of that? Or your children or your wife? I'm I'm cornered off in an office. Nobody. Can okay, it. good. Yeah. My, um, my, my dogs are both looking at me now saying, what was that? And who is that? And why is he here? And it, it, they're Well, I'm going to tell you why I did that, Rich. Yeah. Because now every single promo, Seth Rollins goes, you know, AJ, I like to burn things down. He's a pyromaniac. Like yeah, he's a pyro. I was just going to say, it's yeah. all my bit, but it's fine. His new character is he's a pyro. That's that's the direct – every promo he talks about how how much he loves burning things down. It's very bizarre. Which is interesting because that, that was an old school WWE thing that I always enjoyed back, way, way, way back in the day. Like when Jake the Snake Roberts cut a promo, he was literally a snake. I am slithering. Yes. I'm yeah. going to bite you. <laughs> you know, he's sitting in the shower. He's, you know, he's literally a snake. Tugboat was literally a tugboat. He would make a tugboat nose, you know, earthquake. Yeah, do the, he would do the gimmick with the uh, hand. Like, uh, yes. <laughs> you, know a little, you know when you're a little kid and you drive past a, a tractor trailer or an 18 wheeler and your dad's like, do the hand. Yeah. Thing and he'll do his horn. That's what Tugboat would do. He and then he'd make that noise you just made, yeah. And, and right? Diesel, Diesel too was like he'd be like, I'm on fuel and I'm ready to go and I'm running to get on the road. And you're like, oh my god, Kevin Nash. Right. Kevin Nash is literally a truck. He is yeah. <laughs> literally a truck. Correct. <laughs> I love. I'm a snake. I'm gonna deceive you. You know, like he he would say snake like things. Yeah, yeah you're I'm right. Slithering and I'm gonna <laughs> my never trust, and, yeah, never right. trust the snake. 
you know, you know, shit like that. And you're right. Now Seth Rollins is a fire starter. He is a pyromaniac. <laughs> he, he loves prodigy. Yeah. Talks about. Yeah. Yes. That man's dead too. Yeah. I was going to say rest in peace. That uh, was recent, right? But... Yeah. A couple months ago or something. Um, yeah. So yeah, he's always, he, he mentions it in all of his promo. As you know, AJ, I like to burn things down. Like they're really trying to get over the idea that it's cool that this man likes to start fires. I don't know. It's one strategy, I guess. Um, and he will defend against AJ Styles, uh, universal title. I guess that could be good too, right? That could be a really good match. Why are you so down on this, Rich? No, I said, I said, no, 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 no. Don't turn this around. I said that I was, that the show actually looked like it was good. I just don't have any takes on it. What happened was I didn't see what was below that page break. I didn't Oh, no, those are, I mean, those two, Kofi and Kevin and and Seth Rollins and AJ Styles. That's, that's good stuff. No, if it cuts off at Becky and Charlotte, no, I'm with you. That's not a good show at all. And that's what I mean. Like you could have had Seth and AJ on another show. That could main event any other pay-per-view coming up. Why it had to be on this, I don't know. Like Kofi and, and 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 Kevin Owens could probably main event its own pay-per-view. Why you would do that now, I don't know. Charlotte and Becky, that speaks for itself too. To put all three of those and two money in the bank latches, there's just a lot oh. of stuff on there. And and I'm sure it'll be a good show. I think we're doing a lot of we're doing a lot of shtick, but I can give you the answer to that. The subs are down. So they're loading up these shows. They they want people to subscribe to the network. Right. So, you know, that's why you're getting these loaded shows. With that said, how many times have we been burned? By on paper WWE shows that look good, and then we come on this show the next week and we're like d- d- depressed having to review it. Yeah. So I don't have any faith that the show will deliver. Half of these matches that look okay are going to be overbooked. Uh, the other half are just going to underwhelm. That's how this company has been. And until they prove to me otherwise. Um, you know, I don't have any faith that this on paper decent looking show uh, can deliver, and um, that's all I have to say about the money in the that's bank. That's all I got too. Yeah, I, uh, sorry, sorry, I have no takes, but I've they've they've done it. I just I can't strongly. It just yeah, none of it really matters, and especially with the money in the bank, especially with, especially this pay per view because like. I can predict that Kofi's going to win, but then like somebody could cash in and he could lose. Like I predict that Becky might lose to Lacey, beat Charlotte, but then Bailey can cash in. You know what I mean? Like especially this pay per view, just shit's just going to happen. Which will be oh, fun. Like a lot of shit will happen, but you a know. lot of shit will happen. Yeah, it's like okay, who is going to win the Money in the Bank ladder match at WWE Money in the Bank and become Mister Money in the Bank? That was something actually said on TV, Rich, as you noted to me. Oh earlier. yeah, of course, yeah. That was literally said on TV. <laughs> Who is going to win the WWE Money in the Bank ladder match at WWE Money in the Bank to become Mr. Money in the Bank? I mean, they really make human beings say these things. It's incredible. But uh, but I'm pretty excited to see Ricochet in a, in a Money in the Bank match. He's going to go out there and kill himself. And I guess Valor so. Do good. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, you never know. You really Why did they put been... 90 people in them now? I don't know. Yeah, there used to be like five or six, I six, thought. right? But yeah, I thought so, but. Someone's going to correct us and say, no, it's been this for the four years, you idiots, or something like that. So, whatever. whatever. Anyway, that's our takes for Money in the Bank. Joe, anything else? There's, this there's Kane. They always throw Kane in there to catch people. Yeah, you always needed a base. You had either Kane or, or sometimes it was Big Show. Mark Henry was in him. Finley was in him sometimes, too, and you needed like kind of an old guy in there, too. Flair, I think, got in one of them, too. Which uh, I think Flair was in one. Didn't he win? I don't think he won, but he was in one of the WrestleMania ones uh, back in the day. We're just. We're... The fuck you putting 52 year old Ric Flair in a fucking ladder match? <laughs> 
<laughs> Can we retroactively bury that? I mean, yeah, we could, yeah. I think it was WrestleMania like 25 or something like that, but I'm sure, yeah, we could. We can go back. That's that's the best use of Ric Flair you can come up with, putting him in a ladder match with 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 Evan Bourne and uh, Kane and 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 Sin Cara, and uh, I probably got half of these right. Uh, just uh, yeah, I don't think I think you're you're. Um, I think it was. I want to say it was WrestleMania. Yes, WrestleMania 22. I was maybe, exactly maybe right. A Wade, maybe a Wade Barrett in there. You know? Nah, you're 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 you got to go all the way back. Man, this is 2005 that you got. You got Rob Van Dam, Bobby Lashley, Matt Hardy, Shelton Benjamin, and Finley. Those guys are all in the company now. What do you mean you got to go way back? <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're right. Every one of those you're men. Right. Oh my God, you're right. Com- Except Rob Van Dam, yeah, who's an impact. Yeah. He was an impact. Yes, the rest of those men are in the, the Lashley, company. Hardy, and Shelton are all still there. My God. And Finley's in the back. You can book that match today. <laughs> that was from WrestleMania 22 yeah. in 2006. Wow, that's uh, never changes. That's a, a good encapsulation of, of all that's going on here. Anyway, that's it for us this week. A little bit of an abbreviated show, but I think we got all we needed to get to. There's there's plenty of lands that go around, though, as you said. This is what five and a half hours of Joe Lanza on this day alone. Uh, Patreon.com slash Voice Wrestling. You can subscribe there. Uh, tiers that will fit any budget, any budget you want. Of course, we have the Silver King retrospective movie set. Daily Best of the Super Junior updates from Joe. TV reviews from Joe. My uh, thoughts on the Hart McGee. Q&As. A bunch of other good stuff that we have going up on Patreon.com slash Voice Wrestling. So make sure you subscribe there. Uh, and then, yeah, also VoicesWrestling.com for all of our reviews, previews, and all the other good stuff. Also, great columns. The Liger Beat uh, series has begun. We are looking at uh, a year of uh, Justin Liger's career every single week up until January 4th. So be some pretty good stuff uh, coming from there. Uh, also, VoiceWrestling.com slash forums are great discussion boards where you can join the discussion. Uh, we're talking about wrestling pretty much every day there, wrestling all across the world. So you want to definitely jump in on that. Uh, and then also I'll mention the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, a lot of good stuff. Uh, not only just the Voice Wrestling flagship, we thank you, of course, for your listening to this, but there's plenty of other stuff that we think you'll like as well. Music of the Mat, uh, Wrestling Omakase, you've got Shake Them Ropes, you have Super Jcast, you have Everything Elite if you want to get ready for uh, Double or Nothing, the Burt Ross Roundtable, the Two Sarahs. I mean, just plenty of good stuff on there. Uh, the Mullet Club, if, you, if you're Spanish-speaking and you want a, a podcast for you, we got the Mullet Club up there for you. So plenty of good stuff uh, going on the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. So make sure you're going on there and subscribing. And then uh, I think that's it. So again, yeah, patreon.com slash voice to wrestling for all of our best of the studio for juniors updates. And for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Creech. We'll see you next time on the voice wrestling flagship podcast. Take care.